Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. As we inch a day closer to the draft, a day closer to free agency, and before we know it, football will be back again. Joining me right now is Bill Carroll. How are you doing, Bill? Just fine. How are you doing, Isaiah? Just fine. Just got off work. So, yeah. So, there's been a lot of news this week, including the franchise tag and the transition tag or whatever. Um, there's there's quarterback, you know, you place the franchise tag, you don't know if they're good or if they're not good. In a case like uh, Washington's Kirk Cousins, do you think that's the right move to put him on the franchise tag, or do you just quickly sign him to a long-term deal? I would have neither. I would have used the transition tag. I would have allowed other teams to, you know, negotiate. One thing would give me an idea of what his value is on the market. Frankly, if somebody else jumps up and signs him, and I get a couple of compensatory first-round picks, I'll take that all day long. I know lately there's been this narrative that Kirk Cousins is this, you know, whatever, uh, long-term starting quarterback. But look at his numbers against good teams. Not very because good. of the way that, well, yeah, but look at the right. If you look at the way the the schedule laid out, they were sort of front-loaded. They played a lot of the better teams with better defenses early in the season. They looked like uh, Kirk Cousins, and in the second half of the season where they played some weaker defenses, to be perfectly honest, he looked better. And he did improve also. I mean, he's, like many guys, reps help everybody. I mean, who knows what RG3 might have looked like if he'd gotten, if he'd been healthy and gotten to play that whole season. But like I said, the narrative, uh, which took hold, was that Kirk Cousins, you know, rounded the corner and blah, blah, blah. Uh, they were right not to give him a long-term deal. You don't give a guy a long-term deal who's Kirk Cousins. I mean, maybe he turns out to be more than we all think he is, but I would make him earn it. And I would, like I said, I wouldn't even franchise. I would trans- transition tag him. Maybe and become the next of... Matt Hasselbeck. You know, a guy not with, you know, okay. all awesome. the physical awesome. tools. That's, that's fantastic. Is Matt Hasselbeck worth twenty-two million? Mm-hmm. Per well, year. he was. I mean, well, he was, was when he first started. No, at no point in his career was Matt Hasselbeck was worth $22 million a year. He was worth about seven at his peak. Um, people have gone crazy. That's all I can assume. People just lost their freaking minds when they're given, you know, 20 whatever million to guys like Flacco. And that's the world's gone crazy. Especially Andrew Luckett's paid. Well, that's a slightly different deal. He is the face of the franchise. Whatever they do or don't do is all built around him. That's not the case with most of the other guys we're talking about. It's one thing 
if a player is the guy you can't live without. That's not true with Flacco. That's not true with Cousins. You can't. Those, those aren't guys you can't live without. There's not a huge gap between those guys and whoever the second stringer would be. I mean, I think, frankly, the Ravens would be better if Tyrod had stayed there and he let Flacco walk, and they'd have way more cap room. Are you suggesting either of the backups on that team right now would have done as well, you know, with this this past season when Flacco tore his ACL and MCL? Are you saying here's those for close enough back here's options? Not, here's, here's what I'm suggesting. If Ryan Mallett got a couple of years now, you know, of, you know, if he got, say, because remember, this guy's been in and out, you know, but he's never been a long-term starter anyplace. He's had a handful of, of starts, maybe a handful, half a handful of starts in his career. Uh, and I, I don't know, I, I watched the games that he started, and he didn't look half bad. Now, here's what should be noted. Uh, the main concern about a guy like Mallet isn't, isn't his ability to play quarterback. It's his ability to understand what it takes to be a quarterback in terms of off the field. He's not quite Manziel, but he's a guy with a little bit of a pass. So that's the thing you have to monitor is you have to make sure that he's really matured. But, I mean, if you're going to give 20-some-odd million and all your crazy numbers, to, it just blows my mind the amount of money they're giving to, frankly, average quarterbacks. A great quarterback is worth whatever you have to pay him. Whatever you have to pay well, him, that's fine. Well, Here's something I would have done, you know, done the average state market, but, you know, players would never accept it, but do like maybe a four years, four million a year. So $16 no, million no, 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 That's too much? So that's, well, no, no, I'm, if, you know, if you're going to make 20 in one year, why would you, no, they want, they do want multi-year deals, but not a multi-year deal with, that's, First of all, the NFLPA wouldn't go for it. I mean, essentially, well, that well, if you put them with more incentives, like within the contract, you have to read so many incentives. Be way, it'd be way more incentives because these guys are getting more guaranteed. These guys, look at the signing bonuses. Didn't Blackers get what forty something odd million dollars in guaranteed money? Come well, on, look, look, look at what Sam Bradford got for two years: thirteen million guaranteed. Yeah, that's but ridiculous. that's less guaranteed. That's less guaranteed money than Flacco just got. Well, I know, so, but for a two-year deal where it's twenty-six million, no thanks. Yeah. Well, here's what I'm explaining to you: no one, no starter in the league is going to sign for um, the the incentives. Even even with the chance to make four times that in incentives or five times that in incentives, people don't want incentive-laden contracts, especially young players. So one thing if a guy's you know in his last year or two, you know, like, you know, look at the deal that a guy like, say, Julius Peppers is signing. Yeah, he'll sign an incentive late deal because he's in his sixth, going to his 16th year in the league. But this, these guys are going into their peak earning years. They want guaranteed dollars. They might take a slight cut in total overall value in the package for more guaranteed money, but they're never going to sign for imaginary money because that's what incentives are. Isaiah, incentives are imaginary money. They won't want imaginary money. They want real money. Stuff they can put in the bank. So would so if you're a player, do you try to do the whole Rebus thing and try to recreate every other year and try to cash back in? Well, 
No. I mean, wait, hold on. What are you talking about? <laughs> Roe Revis. Oh, well, yeah, Revis, right. That's a different deal. I mean, you might see something somewhat similar with some of the guys that just got released recently. I mean, some of those guys will – but most guys are want to get away from signing a series of one-year deals because all it takes is one serious injury and you're screwed. Because, once again, you're not in Major League Baseball, right? You're not in the NBA. Your money, most of your money is not guaranteed. The only money that you are absolutely guaranteed, with the exception of, like I said, you know, when you sign a new deal, uh, you can negotiate that a certain part of, a certain percentage of your your actual salary is guaranteed, and then you're signing bonus. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the real money. And players, we... You know, we get excited when we see the total value of the contract or the total number given, but players don't even think about that. They don't care about that. They look at the guarantee money. That's, just, that's the only money they know they have. That's the money that they budget for. I can buy stuff with this because I know I'm getting X amount. The rest of, all the rest of the money in a contract is, is, is imaginary. Everything's not guaranteed. Everything's not signing about it. It's imaginary money. You don't know that you can't start spending that money because you don't know if you'll ever have it. So that's why well, people look at the wrong numbers and they look at contracts. So let's do a little game here with these with these quarterbacks that were and are possibly hitting the market. Um, would you give a big time deal to, or you know, somewhat of a decent deal to the first name I'm going to name off is Brock Osweiler? So what was that? Would you give Brock Osweiler a long-term deal? I would. I'd give him a. I wouldn't say long-term, but I mean, would I do a three-year with a team option for a fourth, paying him mid-market money? I would do that all day long. Uh, I would probably throw a signing bonus at him in the area of eighteen, and then have half of his salary guaranteed in his first year with that percentage edging slightly up every year after that if he hurts certain incentives. So that's how I would do it. I would say, hey, if you manage to start, first of all, some would just be tapped to roster bonus. Hey, if you manage to at least be in the starting lineup on X number of games, then this kicks in and you get, you know, you know, 50, now it goes to 55% of your salary guaranteed. If you manage to start, uh, 14 games, or not, yeah, yeah, right. Then 65% of your salary is guaranteed. Hey, you managed to start all 16 games. Now 75% of your. So most players will sign for a lower number if they can get more of that money guaranteed. So I might do a stair step in terms of how much you can get guaranteed. And if he makes first team All Pro, you know, then I would say, you know what, 100% guaranteed. Every bit of that money, it's yours, baby. Uh, for the first year, and we'll automatically kick an excellent kick in an escalator clause that will take you from 55 to 60% guaranteed all throughout your second year, even if you get hurt, right? Mm-hmm. So you put in, put in smart escalator clauses. That's how you get somebody to sign for a lower number than they normally would sign for. I mean, Tom Brady, in terms of total salary value, is like what six highest paid or seven? There's something in the league, but it really seems friendly, so they can keep contending. Right. So what people forget is that's like his salary is like ninety something percent guaranteed. Like almost all that money is real money. That's mm-hmm. unlike most of the other guys that people quote unquote have ahead of him. Most of those guys, their contract, their money is they're getting 
20 or 30% guaranteed. It's completely different. So even though the number is a, a quote-unquote bigger number, it's all air. It's imaginary, most of it. But with Tom, his money's mostly guaranteed. Almost all of it's guaranteed. That's real money. That's the difference. And players will always trade real money for imaginary money. Okay, the next name I'm going to throw out. Um, Ryan Fitzpatrick, should the Jets keep him, you know, the money that you need to do to keep him? Well, I mean, that's a guy that, that I would not do a long-term deal with, partially because he's not exactly the youngest player mm-hmm. in the league. Now, quarterbacks can hang around for a while, obviously, but I think he's, what, 34, 33, something like that. So, I mean, 32. 32, 32. Okay, all right. Okay, really? Yeah, I might do a three-year deal when the guy is 32. Or two with an option for a third. So here's it might be a mutual option for the third year. And I would have the third year become guaranteed in this contract if he hit certain, certain once again, certain clauses. So if at the end of the first two years the team makes the playoffs or he hits certain things or he's a pro bowler or whatever it is, things that, you know, performance clauses, then boom, the third year at automatically comes on and 50% of the contract value in that third year is automatically guaranteed. And, yeah, I would sign him to, so it sounds crazy, you know, 15 to 16 isn't crazy, I guess, nowadays for basically a kind of slightly above average quarterback. Let's say slightly above average. He is a slightly above average NFL quarterback. But that's what people pay nowadays for slightly above average. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Yeah, by the time Brett retired, he's going to have over 100-some million already in the bank. Right. Well, he timed it and right. He's he, barely, hit, he's, he hit those, he's he hit those average. average. He was the last, right? He was the last of the quarterbacks to get the <laughs> oh my god, life changing deals before the rookie salary structure came in. So he timed it right. He's a member of what we call the Lucky Sperm Club. So if he's born a, a year or two later, he's in a very different. I mean, he still would have made a lot of money, but probably about half as much in terms of guaranteed value in his first few years in the league. So he, I've never understood. He's like made of Teflon or. Mercury or something. For some reason, no one seems to really hone in on him as a as someone to really criticize, despite the fact that he's had a very much average career. And I mean, his career numbers. Look at the next to Robert Griffin III's, and and why is one They're guy? They're not that far a, off. That's what I'm saying. Why is one guy a pe- people a guy that people say we're not sure what he is? We don't know. But everyone seems well, to think that Bradford's just about well, to become a franchise quarterback. Well, isn't a distraction, you know, to the team or, you know, throwing his teammates underneath the bus or so they yeah, say they want to. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, and who are you hearing this I'm from? I'm not saying that. No, 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 no. I'm just asking that. Who are you hearing this from? Right, but who are you hearing uh, it from? People around Washington. When he was starting, he, he's like, yeah. if only, you know, my O-line blocked me better. Okay. Or, you let, me, know. let me back this up. From which people would you hear this? Where, who were the people that were saying these things? RG3 said it when he was after one of his games. Well, if you remember the quote, he said we all need to play better, and then he named, including himself. But he wasn't wrong. His offensive line was poo in that game. Yeah, I mean, did but you see there, the game? There is another way of saying it. There's and, loads of ways of saying it. He chose to be honest, and we don't like that apparently. But he didn't mention we, himself. We don't. We don't, but we don't we like honesty. Do not. We do not like honesty. Boo, honesty. Boo, lie to us. Like, like the whole Robert Kondichi thing. Laramie Tunzel was there, and even yeah, with him being knocked on, 
You see, we always have to have that accountability, which nobody likes truth being thrown out there. Yeah, this is the same. This is the same Larry Temple was choking his stepfather not too long ago, right? Mhm. Okay. Excellent. Awesome. Continue. <laughs> so, there were type of he was talking about Larry Temple being you know involved in that hotel that was under Beach's name, and you know everybody else supposedly you know drinking and all that kind of stuff or whatever the uh-huh. incident was. These are a bunch of young men who know they're about to get drafted and make a lot of money who were partying. Yes, exactly. I've seen it before, believe it or not. And they people want him to own up that it was all on him. No. I understand a whole accountability thing, but don't put that all on one guy. There was other people in the room just because it was under his name, the room. Does not mean, mean he is entirely at fault. You mean kind of like when a quarterback who's playing in a dysfunctional system with a dysfunctional yeah. quarter or with a dysfunctional offensive line, a dysfunctional offensive coordinator and a dysfunctional head coach who wants to see him fail. I'm just I'm talking about Washington <laughs> right now. But but the Browns could 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 fall under this as well. Look, Jay Gruden from jump, both privately and within his circle, let it be known he didn't like Robert Griffin the third. This is a fact. This is not something I'm making up. If you ask him in the streets, he will well, I can say, my he'll say, the, say the same thing. He'll say the right things for the most part, but through gritted teeth. Um, but he doesn't like the guy for whatever reason. He, they never they got off on a bad foot. It never got onto the right foot. And every chance every chance he could he got he took shots and pulled down. We're talking about you know there's another way to say it. How about some of the things he said about Robert Griffin III? He completely had a different approach. He Kirk Cousins was in a what was a four interception game. And the press conference was very supportive. You know, it's not all on Kirk. You got to do this better around it. Blah, 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 blah. It's a whole different world. So if we're talking about accountability, right, let's have it be the same for everybody. Mm-hmm. Let's just, if we're, if, that's, we're gonna, if we're about accountability, let's say everybody's held that standard. Robert Griffin III got undercut, right, mm-hmm. and sabotaged. That's just a fact. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. Quarterback, he gets most of the blame, of course, you know, which it shouldn't be all on him. Well, Kirk, but, well, Kirk but Cousins, that's, for some uh, reason, doesn't be getting the same level of blame. <laughs> it just blows well, my I agree. mind. I agree. But they, they also didn't give up, uh, I think it was two first and a couple of second-round picks for him either. Well, that's not Robert Griffin III's fault. No, it's no, no, no. Stupid deal. <laughs> no, it's not his fault necessarily, but, you know, the team invested that highly in you. You know, yep. act like the leader in their eyes. I'm not saying he wasn't or any of that. Here's what I will say. Think about how Johnny Manziel, since we brought him up, would have handled it if he had a great rookie season. Gets hurt trying to lead the team to a playoff victory. Mm-hmm. And then because of what happens with the coaching turnover, all of a sudden somebody starts trying to sabotage him, right? And they ask yeah, him. Yeah, Brown's never had a quarterback, though. And then, they ask him, and then they ask him to be a team player about it. Hey, run scout team safety. Did he say a peep to anybody about that stupidity that they had him doing? Nope. Did he? Nope. <laughs> so here's what I'm saying. Surprisingly, so he didn't tweet about it. So here's what I'm saying. There's a handful of dudes who played quarterback in the NFL, good, bad, or indifferent, who would have done that and not gone to somebody in the press and said, what the hell's going on? 
he kept mm-hmm. his mouth shut, worked hard, worked on his last health. year at least he has. After yes. someone told him to step off Twitter. Yes. He spent this whole year being abused, in essence, by the powers that be within that franchise, kept his mouth shut, worked hard, came out before and after practices by himself to work on his mechanics, to work on his drops, to work on, you know, throwing the ball to, to spots and things like that. Didn't, didn't ask for anybody basically, to... Basically, they route to him bubble wrap, you know, we're not paying to share and keep salary when Jagerin got us away. Yeah, he's, right. Well, as I told you, Jay, if you talk to people around the program, Jay Gruden went in and said it's him or me. And uh-huh. Dan, Dan Snyder personally likes Robert Griffin III, but he decided to back his coach. Because if he didn't back his coach, now he'd be having to go find yet another coach. And they've gone through coaches like Kleenex in the past several years, as you may know. In Washington, they've had, what is it, 11 coaches in 15 years or something like that? I mean, it's been crazy. Like something, right behind the Browns. It's, yeah, some whacked out number like that. Nine it seems like they're on their hundredth coach, it seems like. Well, they did like yeah, they've gone through a lot of <laughs> And that's never good for your franchise. So there's no I mean, this is not a surprise. If you manage to keep mm-hmm. your quarterback healthy and the same coach for an extended period, you Well McSaman have... put him back in the game when, you know, he was hurt. You know. Oh, yeah. And it was well, it was, was a meaning game that they were meaningless game that they're already, you know, up by a bunch, and you know, at that time, once quarterback goes out, you'd think, "Hey, why not put my back up in and you know give my quarterback time to get healthy?" Yeah, but well, no, Mike Shanahan didn't do that. No, I mean he 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 had no business playing. Frankly, uh, he wasn't anywhere close to one hundred percent. You could see him struggling with the knee brace. I mean, it was just it didn't make sense. He had a partial tear already, which they called a quote unquote second degree sprain. Talk to anybody who is trained medically, and they'll tell you that he did not have a second-degree medial collateral ligament sprain. He had a partial tear is what he had. And people want to question his toughness or his durability. Hey, he played through that. He cannot go anymore. The guys recovered from two ACLs and was a tremendous athlete despite coming back from two ACLs. And as we just pointed out, played the vast majority of a playoff game with a partial MCL tear. So if you're questioning mm-hmm. the toughness, I don't, I don't know what, what to tell you. I mean, and people how question do you durability. You can question his durability, but, you know, he's going to play for you. He's going to play hard. Well, I, that's something look, I look, agree with you. Look, 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 look at how the injuries took place. Like, when you question mm-hmm. his durability, it's one, it's one thing if a guy has, like, a bunch of non-contact injuries, he's, you know... Um, just moving around and boom, his his Achilles tendon pops. So, I mean, one thing, the guy, yeah, I mean, there's guys who, right, there's guys who get hurt <laughs> combing their hair or stuff like that. I mean, that's one thing, right? I'm not kidding. You know, every, every guys that every guys who hurt themselves so playing with their dog or combing their hair or whatever. I mean, he's not brittle in the sense that he gets hurt from nothing. When he gets hurt, it's a legitimate injury due to he's heavy contact. Well, I mean, it's it's real hurt. It's him getting hurt. It's not. It's it's something that would have hurt most people, most football. Forget people, most football players. It's not some freak little mm-hmm. oddball injury. These are legitimate football injuries, and all you do is protect him better, and he won't suffer some of these injuries. Or in this particular case, I think he's learned, you know, to be more careful with his own body out there now. 
Okay, so we're on the RG3 topic. Where do you, if you were to pick a destination, where do you think he goes? My personal opinion, I think if Philadelphia can get him in as well. I know they just signed Sam Bradford, but, you know, until you have a franchise quarterback, keep bringing in quarterbacks in. The, the places that make sense to me in, in some order, some sort of an order, uh, the 49ers make a certain amount of sense, especially if, you know, obviously they keep Kaepernick. It doesn't make that much sense because they don't need three. You really think that was the whole ego thing with Trambolsky, Jed York, you know, the whole ego thing above him, you know, if he's not doing what they want. It's not just ego. Though ego is always a part of it because we're talking about a bunch of alpha males trying to show everybody who's lost, but it's not just ego. It's what does it take to 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 build a young quarterback and have them be successful? It takes infrastructure. They used to have that. They had one of the better offense, maybe one of the yeah, one of the better being when they had Yapati and Davis and um, well, Davis Bailey and back that. now sort of. He yeah. retired. I mean, yeah, we have to. Have you, I haven't seen him play football. The paperwork, but. Right, right. I'm not saying, have you seen him play football? When I see him play football, then I will put him back <laughs> on the roster. I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> you know, it's like, once again, it's imaginary. He's, he's an imaginary football player, like imaginary money. If it's not guaranteed money, it's imaginary. If you're not on the field taking reps, you're an imaginary football player. So, yes. They might get back an imaginary offensive tackle, which would be tremendously helpful. But here's my point. At one point, they had tremendous infrastructure. They had a really good running game, a tremendous offensive line, and a great defense. And they were able to force teams to bring that eighth man down the box. And uh-huh. he was able to extend plays and create things. And he and Vernon Davis had a great sympathetic of blah, 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 Super Bowl. I personally thought they never, should never have gotten rid of Alex Smith. I was in that club. Well, no, but Alex that. Smith, and once again, it comes down to upside versus uh, floor, ceiling, whatever. Alex Smith well, is a guy Well, that's who something pretty, you told me you hated right there because well, his, of certain situation. Right, his, right. Here's what I'm going to say. It's clear to me that Harbaugh looked at both guys. Harbaugh himself, a, what, 14-year uh, NFL quarterback, looked at mm-hmm. both guys and said, said, okay, this guy has uh, a higher floor, but a lower ceiling. This guy has a lower floor, but a much higher ceiling. I mean, he's watching these guys in practice, and he's watching them do the same play, run the same plays, and he's saying, "Wow, that ball comes out of this guy's hand pretty sexily." And he says to himself, "Well, we can actually make use of, you know, some of our deep speed that we haven't been able to make use of previously." How much of this Kaepernick cold trade thing is manufactured? And I think it's Jed York and Turnbull trying to get any, you know, last bit of Jim Harbaugh out of the building. You know, yes. that was a Jim Harbaugh ding, ding, guy. Ding, 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 ding. Now you've identified oh. what it is. It is, it is a we're going to scorch the earth and wipe clean of the stink of Harbaugh. No team has had more roster turnover in the last 18 months than the 49ers. They are almost a completely different team than they were 18 months, one year and a half ago. Look at their roster. Chuck a block full of all pros There's, and whatnot. You could probably name three guys from that Super Bowl left on the team, three or four. 
that are still in contact. If, if that many, it might be less than that. Joe Staley, um, Alex Boone, um, Kaepernick, of course. Um, yeah. Anquan, no, I'm not Anquan. He was facing them. Yeah. No, he's not. Yeah. No, they're almost like Will Holt was there. Um, yeah, about four guys. About four out of 53. That's not a large yeah. percentage. So back to my point about roster turnover. They have had more roster turnover than any other team in the entire NFL in that amount of time. And so the infrastructure, familiar faces, uh, Everything you could look for, leadership, right? Uh-huh. All that gone, torched, ripped out from under him. And then you say to him, okay, we're going to get rid of a lot of the best talent on the team and replace them with lesser talents. And no offense to Jim Tomasulo, lesser talent uh, also in the coaching position. Well, he was sort of the scapegoat for him. Yeah, well, you know, after they got rid of Harbaugh. Partially that, and also they just wanted to – they desperately wanted to rid themselves of Jim Harbaugh. It's that, that, that simple. And wasn't and, Jim Tom still a Jim Harbaugh guy? Yes and no. Because he was there before he was there. Right. He came there with my singletary. Right, exactly. He had been a D-line coach uh, – Maybe with Nolan, in fact. I mean, he's been there for a mm-hmm. while. He's been a 49er guy for a very long time. He's been in their program in various positions. I think he might start as a, as a quality control guy a couple of coaching regimes ago. He's been around the building for years. Um, and it was just a, everybody loved him, right? Everybody, you know, who doesn't love old Jimmy T? And Well, except for the fans they, this past year. They're like, why isn't he coaching? Uh, he is coaching. It's kind of ticked it's only so far. Well, he's a good guy. He's a likable <laughs> guy, and, and he'll be a, a coach again somewhere, probably a position coach. But it was, like I said, it was a, we're going to get rid of Harbaugh. We're going to find some guy that won't be too expensive to replace him. And I won't go as far as say scapegoat, but they didn't. If he somehow miracled his way to 8-8, eight eight, they would have kept him, you know, but – uh, he couldn't miracle his way to eight and eight, and anything less than that gave them. He was the five and eleven, pretty darn good yeah. compared to what they lost and what they had to work with. And basically, it seemed like they were playing with third string talent out of the preseason the whole year. That's what it said. That, that was. It was not a good team. It was a bad team. No. most much of the year, uh, they were. You could see them how badly they missed so many guys. Even the guys who, who came back uh, weren't the same as they were. I mean, Navarro. Well, they, missed, they really missed Crabtree and you know all these receivers that they let go. And you know they had they Anquan Bolton who couldn't separate. You had Vernon Davis who lost a major step. You had really no go-to wide receiver. Quentin Patton was you know a nice complimentary guy. Well, here's what they lost: they lost their Corey pass Smith rush. with the deep they ball. Lost, right, they lost their pass rush. They lost their offensive line's ability to get movement in the run game and to protect the quarterback. They lost some of their best special teams players. They, I mean, they mm-hmm. lost every every single yeah, element, right? Amongst others, every single part of that team lost major elements. 
So add that to the fact that there's, you know, mommy and daddy are fighting upstairs on top of that. Uh, this team in the last year under Harbaugh was a troubled team even then. And I think that had to do with them preventing them from reaching the heights they would have perhaps otherwise reached. Then you then finally when Harbaugh shown the door and there was a split amongst the team even. There were guys that were Harbaugh guys on the team who loved him and there were guys on the team who weren't exactly heartbroken to see him go because he was a very hard grading mm-hmm. personality. He gets on well, he's a hard grading personality, but that man can coach with the best of them. Yep. You won't find somebody who will coach really any harder on the market for, you know, if you're looking for a head coach. He's probably one of the top, when he was in the league, he was about top list, maybe top five, top ten. Yeah, he was that really coach. good of a coach. Yeah, he was probably top five. And he looked, I mean, he, was he looked in one year, he turned, he's already basically turned on that Michigan team with, you know, very little to work with. Well, I wouldn't say very little to work with. I mean, they had a pretty good recruiting class come in uh, ahead well, of the one that he brought in. Well, Here's what I'm saying. Brady, Brady <laughs> Hook's last recruiting class was a pretty damn good class. Uh, we're about to see a bunch of those guys hit the NFL. Some of those guys already have, but next year, that, that last oh, Yep. So good. Yep. And a bunch of others. So, like I said, that those seniors uh, – those guys that are seniors next year, Jake Butt, a bunch of others. I mean, it's going to be a, he. Whatever else you want to say about Brady Hope, he knew how to recruit. So the cupboard wasn't bare. He just didn't have the right guys and at the right time. Well, it was a couple of things. He's not a great schemer. He's not a great in-game guy, and he had a tendency to be a little too loyal to some older. Not that every old coach has had the game pass him by, but some have. Uh, you know, there's older coaches who are very innovative and forward-thinking. He doesn't have those guys. He had a lot of sort of backwards-looking, you know, wedded to doing things a certain way kind of coaches and not matching their system to the talent, but trying to wedge the system into – trying to wedge the talent into the system they already wanted to run. So there were some problems. Plus, when they first came in, they had all the wrong guys because not only people always noticed the offense different, the offensive difference that Rodriguez ran, but people forget they were in that three three five stack monster defense when 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 Rodriguez was there because he always he loves that defense and has taken it wherever he's gone. Rob Castile and others uh, coaching his defense, running a very well, is one different. Is Juan Castillo still in the in college coaching? No, no, I didn't say Juan Castillo. I said Rod Castillo is the guy that follows uh, uh, Coach Rich Rodriguez from job to job to job from West Virginia to uh, Michigan to to Arizona. Yeah, yeah, Juan Castillo is a completely different guy. That's an NFL coach. I'm talking about Rod Castillo. I think he is. I think he's a position coach. Uh, An O-line coach, I think. Anyways, we were talking about landing sets for RG today. I'm sorry, I got you sidetracked. Right. Well, I mean, getting back to places, people keep talking about Dallas, but that's only because of the fact that he's a Texan. Um, I think that's, while it's not impossible, 
that's a lower down list. I think the Rams are a possibility. Uh, that would be so ironic. Well, it would be ironic, but but why not? But why wouldn't you? Uh, the Rams can use an infusion of talent at the running back position, even if he doesn't uh, get named the starter right away, even if they have Keenum in there as the placeholder quarterback while he learns the system and, thinks, and gets his confidence back and things like that. It's a it's a great setup in a lot of different ways. It's a stable situation because for whatever reason, people never seem to want to fire Jeff Fisher. So you're going to have the, the same coach for the next few years. They do have a pretty decent offensive line. 12, 20, 12 to 20 years, it seems like, and Gerson says they're destined to go 7 and 9 every year. Well, the good news is that expectations aren't – I mean, think, but think about this. Other ways that's a great situation is that expectations are not super, super high. The L.A. market's just happy to have football. And Pretty soon if, they're going to be clamoring, you know, for more than seven and nine. Well, that not for the first season. Yeah, not the first season, though. And, and probably he'll get – He'll probably get the shit. He'll probably get the shit through the first part of the first season. He might start after the bye week or whatever. I mean, when, however it takes him to learn the offense. But here's my, here's my point. It makes sense for a few reasons. They have a pretty good offensive line. They have a really good running game. Pretty good offensive line. That's the thing. They have a very – right, exactly. So No, I'm questioning that. Didn't they just have a bunch of rookies starting five or four rookies? Yeah, but some of those guys are future elite-level dudes. Not all of them, but a couple of them. But here's my point. Their offensive line is coming together. There's talent there. And some of those guys are going to be elite or darn close to elite level blockers. Their running game is obviously very, very good. Uh, They could use still some more help in terms of targets to throw to, but they have a very good tight end. And, you know, some other guys were sort of growing. Who's a pretty good tight end? Lance Kendrick? Don't they still have um No, they cut Jared Cook. Oh, that's right. Well then I guess they'll be drafting tight end. Yeah. Hunter Henry, you know, second round, here we come. But uh yeah, <laughs> I mean they 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 have components in place that would help a quarterback to fit in and it's a lower pressure situation than say Dallas, right? Where if Romo goes down now we're all eyes are on you, and you know just to keep the the boat afloat, even for just for four weeks, still it's a lot of pressure because this is a team that thinks now we'll we can discuss later if they're delusional or not, but they think they're a championship level team. But uh, other teams that are possibilities, the Jets, frankly, if they don't decide to bring back um, Ryan Fitzpatrick, if they were to pick up Robert Griffin III would have an interesting situation because... The market, especially with our G3. Right. It's a fairly intense place to play quarterback, obviously, the New York market. So that part's not a great situation for him. But the good situation for him is, once again, fairly solid offensive line, good people to throw. You know, I mean, you've got good targets, you know, to receive your balls. And that defense. (laughs) I mean, look at that defense. So you've got a good place in terms of that. First of all, that coach is going to be there for a while. Todd Bowles is going to soon become a top ten. 
Dude, you can't say my boy when I've been falling top balls for us to do Are, you, are you kidding me? I was planning for him to get that head coaching job for at least five or six years when he was with yeah, other no. teams and with the Cardinals. Yeah, I'm. I'm okay, I'm not all of us have been watching football for 50 years. I know. I'm just saying, I, I'm, <laughs> you're not first to the Todd Bowles party here. That's all I'm saying. I, I saw him play in college and said that kid's going to be a future head coach. I mean, he was so smart. He ran a pro style defense. Uh, when he was in college. And of course, Bruce Arias was his coach. But, yes, I mean, Todd Bowles is going to be one of the better coaches in this league sooner rather than later. But here's what I'm saying. It's a solid situation in terms of some of the things that help quarterback. Coaching, offensive line, good targets, a pretty decent run game. The downside is pressure. Obviously, you know, anything goes on in the New York market is pretty much pressure curve. Cooker. So that's why I have that below Los Angeles as a target. Uh, people keep bringing up Philadelphia. Now that's a relentlessly negative fan base. Um, mm-hmm. You better not ever make a mistake because they'll tear you to pieces. But the good news, if you're looking for good and news, Bradford is... And seems to be okay. He's made a lot of mistakes. So uh, I, yeah, he's made of Teflon, apparently. I've never understood, like I said, <laughs> we talked about this. For some reason, Tam, Sam Bradford never seems to really take the brunt of criticism despite the fact that he's been dazzlingly uh, average. But um, the thing is, if you go to Philadelphia, you're going there probably as a backup. They seem to be committed to Bradford for whatever reason. Or Chase uh, Yeah, right. But they're, wanting, whatever they're bringing him in. As soon as yeah, the sure. pre-agency starts. But as I said, for whatever reason, they seem committed to, uh, to Bradford. Uh, oh. So I, that's a lower, to me, lower down on the list possible landing spots. And uh, I, mean, I guess I have to at least discuss Dallas slightly. Uh, you sure you, again, you sure don't get, put Cleveland in that spot? I don't think Cleveland's a good landing spot for two reasons. I One, know, I know. I'm uh, just saying. It's better well, than possibly landing in Dallas. Well, I mean, the Dallas situation is, once again, well, it is Texas. I mean, if he wants to find a place to start. Yeah, right. He wants a place to start, right. Obviously, if you go to Dallas, you're going there as a backup. If you go to Cleveland, you're going to a dumpster fire, but there's a chance you might win a starting job. So, you know, so that's the the mental math you're doing. Do I want – plus, they're probably going to draft a quarter. So he still might be sort of the placeholder guy. They might bring him as a veteran to help get or Wentz or whoever it is, but the – the point is that he might be the placeholder quarterback for, you know, whoever it is that comes next. Now, it should be pointed out that that's originally what Fitzpatrick was brought in to do. So sometimes the placeholder Possibly becomes Geno the Smith guy. Might be available. Geno Smith will know. most likely become available, yes. But I don't know how much <laughs> of a market they I don't know how much of a market there really is for him right now. But here's the point I'm making: is that. <laughs> Even if they're bringing you as a placeholder, it's a chance. And sometimes that guy who they thought was the placeholder becomes the guy. Like I said, Ryan Fitzpatrick is a, is a perfect example of that. They thought he was going to be, you know, one of the veterans they're going to bring in to help bring along their rookie, you know, not rookie, but at that point, I guess, second-year quarterback. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously through the broken jaw and everything like that, he ended up winning the job. So potentially could he go into a situation even where he's supposed to be brought, being brought in as a backup and win the job long-term? Probably not so much in Dallas, but you're right. He might be able to do that 
in a place like Cleveland. The question is, do you, you know, how the things that help you to be successful as a quarterback, Cleveland doesn't have a lot of those things. They don't like stability. Count on the offensive line. Places to um, throw the football. There's a lot I'm of sorry, downside. I'm reading this old 49ers article. It says, you can't remember a similar offseason annual history. Jim Harbaugh is in, Mich- is in Michigan running around shirtless with Texas. Uh, uh, Harbaugh. Sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just saying that to me that those are both two sort of last two places that would be less appealing to him than some of the other places that were available. So you know a lot about a lot more than I do about Jonathan Cooper. They are trying to move him over to center. Do you think he can play that? Yes, well, certainly can, and they probably should have done it before. Uh, he he has the, first of all, he's super quick. He has a high <laughs> football IQ and a high IQ IQ. He's a very bright young man. Uh, Thirty-two, I think, on the Wonderlick. And I mean, health is the real question. I mean, people sort of make a big stink about the fact that he went seven overall. And he's, you know, who takes the guard seventh overall? Right, I get it, but. He could definitely play center. He could definitely play either one of the guards. He could play center or left or right guard. He can he, he also play right tackle if needed. <laughs> I mean, if there's some sort of you wouldn't want him to, but he could sell no. Him. I mean, I wouldn't recommend it. It wouldn't end well. But <laughs> he can definitely play. He can definitely play left tack, uh, left guard, right guard, and, and center. And like I said, he has the things you look for. In the center, he's 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 a very athletic guy. He's got quickness, short area, punch, and power. And like I said, the football IQ you look for, he's that's probably the position he's best suited to play in back in the NFL center. Well, with the Cardinals' offensive line, you'd think you put Mike Ayupati and I think Bobby Massey as the other guard on the other side, and then their rookie left or right tackle on the right tackle end, and then you have your quote-unquote left tackle already. Is, is Beldier still on the yeah, roster? Beldier yeah. is your left tackle. You guys making sure. Yep, and Massey's, I think, the right guard or right tackle. I don't forget where that rookie's playing. Yeah. But I wouldn't be, sh- I wouldn't be it, shocked it, if it, it would another... make more sense moving him to center. Yeah. Yes, it would make I, I'd sense. agree. And I won't be shocked if they took another tackle in this upcoming draft somewhere. Um, yeah, you need to plan something better than Valdir. Valdir's solid, but, you know, I don't think he's going to be anything better than solid in the penalty yeah. machine. Right, that is correct. Uh, because he doesn't have great feet, and that's the whole thing, is when you don't have great feet, even if you've got length, and even if you're otherwise athletic, if your feet aren't super quick, you're going to grab people because you're trying to protect your quarterback who's, you know, 36 years old and not the toughest guy in the world. Are you questioning Chris uh, Palmer's toughness? I'm not questioning his toughness. Anybody who plays NFL <laughs> football is tough. I'm just pointing I'm out sure. that he doesn't I'm pop back up every time. time he, I know, but I'm just saying he doesn't pop back up every time. You know what I'm saying? He's not Brett Favre, exactly. So... Atlanta has made some news by cutting 
I think it's her old time leading receiver, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Oh, yes, yes. Um, he is our all time leading receiver in yards, receptions, and touchdowns. Uh, he leads in pretty much for everything. Now. Yeah. For now, for until now. Julio breaks everything. Or until or Julio may retire early. Julio might retire at the age of 29. I mean, you don't know what's going to happen in the future. Don't jinx that. I'm not jinxing it. I'm just saying <laughs> you, I, you, should, you should know by now not to throw up pronouncements about what's going to happen in the future. Well, Julio is almost already there on breaking the touchdown mark. Right. But he might. It, does, does he have a, he's not a Hall of Famer, is he? Roddy White? No. no. Um, not even close, now, right? Well, it Now, so, so suppose he has three more good years in him and somebody signs him and he plays three, three good years. I what mean, is a good at, year for, in your opinion for him? Number well, look at number well, look at well hold on. Look at the year that Larry Fitzgerald just had. You think he's not mm-hmm. capable of doing that? You think he's no, not I capable don't. of doing that? No. I think he not, in, not in at the right this situation. point in his career. At the, it, physically, he and Fitzgerald are pretty close to the same guy. At one point he was way more athletic than Fitzgerald. Now, you know, he's lost a little bit of that, but there's still he's still a tough, strong guy with really good hands. And if he is used correctly in a dynamic offense, say he goes to the Put him on the Patriots. Right? Patriots could use him. I know, yeah, I know right. that's always that sure. name you thrown out there, but he's a pretty intelligent guy. You know, yeah, you think sure. he'd be able to pick up a playbook there, but sure. we don't yeah, know. Right. We don't know how right. he could play. Right. I mean, right, Blaine was all gone. So, yeah, the, right, if he goes to an offense like that, you think he couldn't have a year like Larry Fitzgerald? Yeah, of course he could. I, I have Blame my Tom Brady. You can have all the suspicions you want. I'm saying that he, if the he right goes system, to an offense He's like, been in that right system for years, and the last three years, he hasn't produced. He's been barely mm-hmm. passing a 400-yard mark. Well, barely. And he yeah. just throws the ball, and he just doesn't catch it. He's There's not getting of, many not, targets. Not all of, not all he's of not getting, time, He's not yeah. getting any targets. No, he's not getting any targets. I mean, you keep saying the ball. Why do you can't catch balls that don't come to them, Isaiah? No way it does. He's not getting targets. A lot of the he's, he's one of the least targets. His productions per target is, has been steady. What's dropped off is his targets. I mean, just look at his targets over the past few years. That's the issue. He, the ball's not coming his way. I, I don't know what you want him to do about that. If he goes to an offense where he's targeted more, and like I said, he can do the he can do he can do the things that we just saw Larry Fitzgerald do. He's a physically strong, he, one of the strongest receivers, pound for pound, in the league. A former the state Tennessee champion Titans. wrestler. A, yeah. Well, the Titans aren't the most dynamic offense in the world. I know. Sure I not. know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Here's my point. There are places where he could do well particularly mm-hmm. in an offense where they spread the ball around fairly, fairly evenly. Say he goes to Green Bay, right? Um, Jordy Nelson. Uh, they don't need another out. slow wide receiver. Well, first of all, he's not as slow as you think he is. I don't know. I know, I know. But I'm talking about with age, you know, it's harder to separate. You look how fa- how fast James Jones lost that somewhat 
speed. Yeah, but you, you know, to separate. I, I know you can't compare it to, but age, because James, you know, James, James, you Jones, James Jones started his career being the kind of athlete that Roddy White is now. So when he started to drop off, you know, he he, he went dare. straight into <laughs> he went straight into an area where he's just barely still able to play. Roddy White was an elite. He's in that Bolden type of uh, almost, almost, yeah, almost to that. But here's my point: is when he first at the league, he was an elite level athlete, elite level athlete. So he's dropped down, obviously out of elite, and maybe even out of very good, but he's still a good athlete. People completely underestimate how good Roddy White is. He just stopped getting targets, and if he goes to the right situation, he could produce. Now, if he has three really good years, yeah, there'll be a consideration for the Hall of Fame. Uh, he, Second ballot, he possibly. Second or third. Well, no, no, it would take more than that. Are you kidding me? Um, no, it would take many more years than second or third ballot. I don't know what 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 you're thinking. Yes, I know, I know. Like you, I like just wanted to get you fired up. This is, I just wanted to get you fired up. I'm just saying, to think about the backlog, especially at that position. There's an enormous backlog at what. If somebody like Kim gets in before Isaac Bruce, if I'm not saying he gets in, but somebody like Roddy White, like that type of player, and that production gets in before Isaac Bruce or Tori Holt. Well, I don't think Tory Holmes. I, I, I don't either, but I'm saying if he does get in over him. I think I think Isaac Bruce gets in eventually, so he probably will have a nice long wait. Um, I, a lot of receivers are going to have to wait. It's just case it's an enormous backlog. In other words, my boy Sean Drone got re-signed to a one-year deal. Do you think this is a good signing for the backup to Carlos Hyde? Bill? No. Can't hear you. Bill? Yeah, yes. What was that about? <laughs> no, I just trying to. Uh, deal with some things. Ah. <laughs> so, in your opinion, do you think that was a good move by the Niners re-signing Sean Drone? Yeah, well, he's a committee back. He did more than admirably well for, you know, somebody who hasn't really played all that much. And that sample size for, you know, how old he is, which is, I guess, 26 or 27 or something like that. And I think he did pretty well filling in as a starter. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I'm, I, I like the kid. I'm just saying he's a committee back. People are going to, you know, he's going to be a 12-carry-a-game guy, most likely. It's just that word committee back that throws everybody for a loop. But they're all they committee hate back. It. Pretty much nowadays. I mean, who's, who's a who's a load back nowadays? Who's a twenty four carry a game guy now? Uh, Adrian Peterson, Alfred Morris, they, Alfred Morris. Uh, if he got if he was given all them carries, Alfred yeah, Morris, Carlos right, Hyde, yes, right? Well, 
I mean, Carl Sites never averaged 24 carries a game in his career. Well, he's also about, never finished a full season. That's my point. In the NFL. So those guys are, yeah. so those guys are, are seen as load backs because they can't carry a But they are the workhorse back. Well, we'll see if they're a workhorse there. back. Or they, like, no, I'm talking about guys who actually, you know what I mean, have done it, not guys yes, that you yes. hope might one day do it. That's, I'm not talking about imaginary. I'm talking about real. So, I mean, <laughs> Arian Foster, when he was healthy, was a real, but, but that's, those days are probably gone. But he was at Chris Ivory to a time. degree. And Chris Ivory is a committee back. He's just the guy that gets the largest piece of the pie. But he's never averaged 24 carries a game for a career, I mean, for a season. He's done it for a four or five game stretch. Lamar Miller, once they start utilizing him, I guess. But once again, you're talking there. about imaginary stuff. So he keeps talking about things you hope one day might happen. Uh, is it just mirrors? Uh, Lamar Miller, a little overhyped, but the production. He's always, he's always been overhyped. But it's because. Overhyped? It's like, but it's because people assume, yes, and, but but it's all that like you just said. It's all that imagination. People keep imagining him as something he has not yet been. Might he be that thing one day? We'll see. But in your opinion, a, who will have a better career, him or Jay Ajayi? Well, he should have a better career. One because he has two good knees. Um, you know, Jay and that's Ajayi. Not, that's uh, not fair for him. I mean, just say, you know, he, the guy with good knees should have a better career. That's one thing. We don't even know if, if his injury was that bad or, you know, teams were just pushing down the draft board that way. We don't know mm-hmm. the full story on him. Well, let me tell you this. When a bunch of teams take you off the draft board after your medicals come back, that's usually not a smoke screen. I'm just saying, watch him have a longer career than people think and not have these issues. Oh, I mean, he and Carlos Polk will both have longer careers than the people who said that they, you know, won't play at all. I mean, there are people, once again, Carlos Polk was off a bunch of teams' draft boards. Jai was off a bunch of teams' draft boards. They both managed to hang around. So they sort of won already in that sense that there are people who thought they might never even play. Okay. So, Jalen Smith situation where there are some people who just, you know, we don't care how good he is, he's off our boards. We're too too afraid of his knee situation. Yeah, each time we talk about that injury, my body feels like dirty, you know, being all numb and all that. I'm like, oh, crap. You know, you know, when you hear about an injury, you're, you can basically feel it a little bit. Well, yeah. Well, here, here's one of the main issues <laughs> is, mus- is muscle atrophy. Um. The problem is, it's not just numbness or whatever. The problem is muscle atrophy. When, uh-huh. the, when the nerves aren't firing those muscles, the muscles get weaker and weaker and shrink. And so you end up uh-huh. with this, you know, muscle withering, basically, and shrinking down to almost nothing. So you lose power. You lose the ability to protect yourself. Uh, it's, and it can be a, you know, a lifelong issue because we don't know with nerves if or when they're coming back. It's unpredictable. It's not like an ACL. It's not like it's not like other things where you can sort of say, this is how long it takes. Oh, you broke your tibia? Okay, well, in three weeks you'll be, you know, jogging on a treadmill, and in five weeks you'll be 
you know, uh, running without cutting, and by week eight, you'll be in unpadded practices running full speed. You can't do that with an adventure. You don't know what's going to happen. So right now we have um, five days until the legaling or the legal legaling tampering period has started. But is that really a tampering period when people are already really doing that? I know it. You're not really well. That's what the combine. That's what the combine is. I mean, the other than the stuff that's going on on field for the. But you're not allowed to talk to any others. Talk about any. Everybody else's players under a contract or, you know, soon not to be or whatever, unless, you know, they're un- not under contract. You're not really supposed to due to the, I think it's the CBA agreement. Uh, well, you're not really supposed to talk about them that way. No, no. If, you know, they're under contract. And, you can, and you can get fined for it. We've seen it happen with Dallas. We've seen, you know, his, well, we, just, but it's not tampering unless you get caught, technically. I guess. That's true with any... It's not murder unless you get caught either, I say. <laughs> True, but I think this whole tampering window, I think it just needs to go because, you know, teams are going to do what they want to do to get the upper hand. And they're not not—they're going to not care about the penalty unless the penalty is severe. Possibly like a high draft each time, you know, somebody tampers. You know, well, I just I don't... I don't think you can completely get rid of it for a couple of reasons. Um, for one thing, I don't know how much you understand the concept of a league year, but if you don't have a period where there's tampering or whatever, then contracts are meaningless or be darn close to meaningless because at what point can you start planning, you know, to go to your next team when you're under contract if there's no tamper period? You could okay. sign a contract today and then start, you know, trying to work a deal with somebody on the team the next day. But there's no, I mean, tampering, there's a reason that we have a tampering rule in place. It's to uh-huh. keep the, it's to keep certain teams from raiding other teams constantly for talent and competitive balance and all that good stuff. All that goes down the tubes if you allow Jerry Jones to start cozying up to everybody, every other team players while they're still in the contract, which is what he would do immediately if there were no tampering rules, just so you know. Well, I'm getting most of my information from Mike Florio. I don't know if that's all accurate. <laughs> Okie dokie. Well, you do that. Here's what I'm, like I said, here's what I'm going to say is, like I said, there's a good reason for that. You, can, you might want to tweak the rule. I mean, there we can have a discussion. But if you get okay. rid of the rule, it's going to what be the wild. What if you get something like that? You just get rid of, you know, how there's guys that, you know, like your James Laurinaitis and then that just got cut. I think you should, after, as soon as the Super Bowl is over with, you know, you know, stop where you cannot sign any more free agents until free agency happens. And, you know, the guys that aren't under contract are also included where, you know, they're you have to wait until free agent starts to sign any of them. Okay, so what you're really talking about is just changing the league year. Is what you're really talking How, about. You're talking about. Pretty much. It's not like you're just saying, let's not have the league year end in March, let's have it end in January or February, whatever, whenever the Super Bowl is. That's what you're saying. Well, I mean, you cannot sign any more free agents until after, after the Super Bowl ends until free agents start. 
So Chris Long and them are free agents. You can't talk to them until the day free agency starts. Okay, so for you, when would that be? Because I'm, I'm not trying to make sure I'm following you. Let's so what see. Would, what day is free agency again? That's uh, crap. Let me see. Well, it's about to start, uh, what, Monday? Okay, let's just say Monday. James Lord and Nidus and them, they were released from their contract. Okay, I'm saying you, can, you should not be able to talk to them or sign them until Monday at, you know, as soon as free agency starts. You can have details worked out, but you cannot sign them officially or uh-huh. you know, that kind of stuff. Okay, well, that that's already the case. I mean, I'm trying to figure out what's, what are you changing, because that's already how things are. What I'm changing, you, you shouldn't be able to sign players like that that aren't signed to the team anymore until free agency starts. I think it was Bryce McLean who just got signed by the Titans. I'm saying somebody like him should have to wait until the day of free agency. Well, this goes back to when the person was last under contract. Mm -hmm. I think if you're a free agent, wouldn't that entitle you? withhold on free agency, you know, wait till that. There's more players, you know, more of that free agent friends is, you know, for the league. If you think about how the league got so angry about the whole, more than one team, more than the two teams that were caught tampering, were tampering. Sure. Um, and I mean, all the time got tampers, done it within like but, the first 15, 20 minutes. Sure, every team tampers, but most teams aren't as blatant about it as the Cowboys were. Or they the were blatantly tampering. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's what you get punished for. You get punished for doing it too hard, basically. Well, Jerry Jones like, I got to have my star player, you know. He's like that kid who sees something shining and goes right after it. Yep. I think he lives in his own fairy tale, it seems like. He's, uh... He's out there. He's an interesting guy. Uh, he <laughs> lives quite the life. I don't know if you read the article. Uh, I read it. Published recently. Oh, okay. <laughs> he, he's living the dream, my friend. He's living the dream. Uh, fair enough, it's going to be sad when Jerry Jones does go. Yeah, not as sad as Jerry will be because he is enjoying life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was looking at Lupia Bergash to just say earlier, I think it was this week or last week, I don't understand why we why we haven't been to the Super Bowl. Well, or, you know, won the Super Bowl. I'm like, well, you see, Jerry, you want the short list or the long list? <laughs> Jerry well, the main reason is, is, of course, the dissolution of his relationship with Jimmy Johnson. They would have had probably at least one, if not two more Super Bowls together if he had retained Jimmy Johnson as opposed to pushing Jimmy Johnson out the door. Well, especially it's like, what was the Tony Romo in his prime? I'm surprised they haven't gotten further, you know, on getting closer to the championship. Well, you see, there's this thing called Tony Romo's bat, his collarbone, and everything else gets broken. 
Uh. And Jerry, there is this thing called the salary cap. Man, so if we... they weren't, if they weren't, <laughs> I'm telling you, they would have Super Bowls. Jerry Jones would open up that You'd be flying your money around. <laughs> you think, oof, we're talking about people getting paid. There's no <laughs> the things that Jerry You'd be overpaying doing. for a championship roster, but you should yeah. never build a team through free agency. Man, I'm just telling you. <laughs> oh, Jerry Jones. Even when you're not around, you make us laugh. Back to my main point before I got thrown for a loop myself. Things happen more than not. The whole legal... legal uh, the tampering period, you think if there's a change that you would pose, what would you do for it? If you had to change anything about this whole tampering window, what would it be? You there? I think I'm alone. You there, Bill? Well, while Bill is dealing with whatever he's dealing with, um, the NFL has had other needs going on. Patriots release Brandon LaFell and Scott Chandler. Except for agent additions, Scott Chandler was signed last year. Dealt with some injury problems. Brandon LaFell, he had that knee issue and all of them drops last year. He basically got benched for Keyshawn Martin. Yeah, well, I think we all saw him that's when we saw it coming. We saw him getting getting cut, and they're going to probably not have too much trouble replacing him. I mean, it wasn't like he was ever producing, first of all. Uh, Wait, so, who are you talking about right now? So, about LaFell, right? Aren't we talking about LaFell? Well, I was talking about LaFell and Scott Chandler, so I'm, I was like, which one are you talking about? Oh. Well, I mean, Scott Chandler did a pretty he good job being Scott Chandler. I mean, I... He, he did the Scott Chandler thing for him. Well, you know, he 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 played second fiddle to Rob Gronkowski, but you're not going to find anybody better right now. But well, when mean, he, he was given the opportunity, good. he did it. Yeah. But he was a little thin duck. I mean, I have no problem with Scott Chandler. He he gave you exactly what you knew you would get from Scott Chandler. There Will they ever people. find that solution to that second tight end? They, they might. It's not, I mean, might be a kid like Tyler Higgins or whatever. Who knows? I mean, there's there's people whine incessantly about this tight end class, but there's people to be had who will be able to, in the right situation. There's not many number one tight ends in this class. There's a bunch of number twos. Mm-hmm. And the Patriots aren't looking for a number one. They're looking for their number one B, Robert and Cassidy. 
And I, it's, I probably shouldn't bring up his name, but Aaron Hernandez has been better than all of those tight ends. Yeah. They just can't find yeah. that replacement. Right. Well, that, that talent, mm-hmm. that young, young of an age. You know, well, here's, here's, here's what they would have to have happen. They'd either have to hit in the draft, which they might. I mean, like, I thought you're going off on a tangent there, Bill. I think we lost Bill again. You there, Bill? Moving on, Alex Mack avoids his deal with the Browns and will test free agency. Like I was saying, Bryce McCain signs a two-year deal worth um, $12.5 for the Titans. Julius Suppers has no plans of retiring, which I wouldn't think he would just yet. Um, that's pretty much the major headlines right now after the Ralph blew that tag. Bill, are you there? Are you surprised Janoris Jenkins didn't get that franchise tag? Well, I'm thrilled because I'm a Steelers fan. <laughs> I would throw all kinds of money at like Janoris Jenkins because he'd be the best corner. Uh, we, I personally like Tremaine Johnson a lot better. Well, that's up to you. Tremaine Johnson is a guy that can definitely get beat deep. Uh, he's a good tackler. He's uh, a tough guy. He's a smart guy. And I see why team. they I see why they tagged Jermaine Johnson, but do you think that was the right move if you were the Rams? It depends. I mean, if you want to run a system where you want basically a corner just to have to worry about the first 17 yards, pass the line of scrimmage and be physical, things like that, that's the guy you want. He's a Six one and a quarter or something, and two hundred and six pounds. I mean, he's one of the bigger corners, so that makes sense. But I just think that you can get to things to do more things. You can have him go and cover spots. You can have him play man. In fact, that's probably his best situation playing man. But he can play zone. We've seen him play zone. But Tremaine would have been a first round pick if he didn't have those troubles off the field and he didn't yeah. have to transfer. He possibly Correct. would have been a middle first round pick. Mm-hmm. Are you disagreeing or no? No, I'm saying of course. I'm a huge North Jenkins fan, and he was my number one corner that year. So was DJ Daniel Jeremiah. Oh. Of course, he also had Drake Patrick at number two. Yeah. And then Morris Claiborne as his number three. Bucky Brooks mm-hmm. had. Morris Claiborne is his number one. He says he's the best thing. Beyond Sanders, mm-hmm. I'm like, no wonder why you're out of the front office. <laughs> and then I, I like I both those guys. They're I, good guys. They're but... good guys, but they have bad eyes when it comes to evaluating. Um, but I got a lot of heat 
for my old Nate Andrews slash uh, Jalen Ramsey thing because I'm I was laughing at the fact that Bucky Brooks had him as his number one overall player. Well, I mean Nate Andrews is a you know as they say he is he's a he's a guy that is basically a a, a dime linebacker. Basically, he's I'm not saying he's exactly like him, but Deion Buchanan he's this. National position is at safety, but he can do a little bit of everything. Except cover. Um, he really can't yeah. cover at all. But, but he also unlike... has that. He has those instincts, unlike Ramsey, you know, in the back end playing safety. But, well, and people are like, back. you're talking about a guy that might not get drafted. Uh, Ramsey. Or not Ramsey, but. Andrew is the kind of guy that's probably a special teamer at the next level and a reserve, you know, like I said, who might play a little bit of dime linebacker. He's never going to be a starter or even, you know, a guy that plays a lot in dime even because he just doesn't have the hips and things like that to do it. Didn't you but, say, didn't you, t- didn't you agree with me that Andrews is the better safety? I don't think Andrews is really a safety either. I mean, the best safety on their team, as I've said it a million times, is Derwin James. There you go. Now I'm excited. Now you've got my attention. <laughs> uh, next year's safety class is going to be really, really good. I don't know about really, really, but pretty good. Well, this, I year's think Jabril... is pretty... this year's safety class is pretty good. People are just looking at the wrong guys. Yeah, Dragol Peppers, isn't he possibly entering next year? Yeah, possibly. I mean, where I think is it his on... position? Where because he's been played all over that field, offense, defense, special teams. Yeah, he's like a combination of Jalen Ramsey. He's a do-it-all player. Yes, he's like I said, a combination of Jalen Jalen Ramsey and Adoree Jackson. Uh, he's one of the most versatile players in all college football, and he's better than he's Ramsey guy. by far, right? He's got better instincts and better, better, better hips, but. Here's my point. Not as big, though. A lot of the they Rams... Got another good, sorry, they got another good safety on the other end of him. I think a lot of the Rams you love is his frame. You know, the whole quote-unquote looks the part thing. Um, you know, the beauty contest approach to scouting. And that's the one thing I will say about both Bucky and, and DJ is you can see who raised them as scouts. Every scout has a, you know, a godfather, a teacher, a mentor, whatever. And some guys come from the Parcells or the Ozzy or Belichick or whatever, whoever's school of thought. And DJ came from the Ozzy tree, sort of. He came in with Bill Savage with the Ravens. Right, exactly. Right. He spent time there. He spent time with Ozzy and company. And Right, so here's the point. There are certain guys, certain approaches to scouting, and I should probably write an article about this, where <laughs> they don't care. They don't care what else you do if you aren't a certain height, weight, and speed. If you don't run this time, if you aren't this tall, if your arms aren't this long, whatever it is, we don't care. We don't care what else you do because you just, we can't, I won't touch you. That's what makes Seattle okay. so interesting. That makes Seattle so interesting. They, they, they care about spark, obviously, and they care about certain things. They like quick guys. They love guys mm-hmm. with great three they love guys with great three cones. Like a guy can be otherwise an unimpressive athlete 
James Carpenter is a good example, but they have really good three count, right? Not not yeah. that strong, not great long speed, or not not great anything. You know, average tape even. But they look at okay, he's a big guy with a really good three count, or in the case of Earl Thomas, he's a little guy with a un, with an amazing ungodly three count and good long speed. But they look for certain things. They don't care about height and weight and things like that. They'll draft a guy who's a little shorter than what other teams think a guy needs to be to play a certain position or a guy who's a little too light or a little too big, you know, right? I mean, that was a knock on Cam Chancellor is that he's not, you can't play safety. He's too big, you know? So uh, Brandon Browner was a guy that was too big and too slow. You know, he ran four, seven, two or three or whatever it was. Well, he's kind of been that outside of that system though, too, sort of too big and too slow when he's not with the Seahawks so far. Right, but that's and a penalty machine. <laughs> right, exactly, because it comes down to usage. That's what people need to realize about every single player. There are systems where Joe Montana would have been just average, as great as as great as he was in the system he was in. You put him in a system like the one that Dan Fouts was in, or a system like the one that. Terry okay, Bradshaw Bill, we need to get you in. Co- we need to get you in some coaching. <laughs> Start I'm building up your ranks, Bill. <laughs> I'm just saying every You're single that knowledgeable, player, you should be a coach. <laughs> I'm just saying every single player can be maximized or minimized based on usage and system. Even like you were players. saying earlier, a reps helps. Having the reps. If you have and, the right system, yeah, you can get away with guys that can't do certain things. Hey, we've got corners with bad seats. That's okay. We don't need them to turn. We just want them to jam those daylights out of people and give them trouble see, for. We don't see a lot of those jam type corners that will jam you up on a scrimmage. We don't see it like we used to. Well, Why is the Legion of Boom. That's what the Legion of Boom's all about. They're about jamming. Well, I mean, outside of them, you don't really see that around the NFL. Yeah, because it takes guts to do that. Because if you miss, you're a dead man. It's a flack. Yeah. And I think they get away with a lot of stuff on the field. Yeah, well, if you if you do it quickly and you do it in the right part of a receiver's body, you can still get away with a lot of stuff in the first five yards. Um, you just want to stay away from, you know, their head. You know, you want to stay away from stuff that the you know that the 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 uh, the uh, you know umpire or referee or whatever is gonna gonna notice right away, but you can. Oh hey, Bill, you watched the games, right? Was Antonio Brown on there? <laughs> I'm again referring to Vontaze Burfitt. Oh well. And Adam I mean, Jones saying he deserves an Oscar. Well, I mean, which that's, that's, that's not something to joke about. Just, if you hit, just, if you hit somebody in the head. Yeah, that's just bitter. Uh, Those are bitter is, people. That's there, that is, that's bitterness. there is that part, you know, like, if you were not a regular person, you'd be like, oh, crap, um, are you okay? You know, but they're like, oh, he's faking it. Which I still think the Bengals shouldn't have been, you know, that harshly penalized when, like, a guy like Joey Porter came on the field, which he had no business. He no business at check. all. I know. He came out to check on a player, which is normally the head coach's job, but he came out to check on a player. But still, but still, 
there are rules. And if he was yeah, slacked, and if he was slacked for that, and they probably wouldn't have won that game, depending on how much how that kick was, because We're then the, Adam Jones wouldn't have off went off. off. Well, moving off setting. I mean, if he if he had been flagged, you know how the quarter been flagged for coming out. It would have just been offsetting at that point. But still, that penalty would have pushed them back, and it would have been harder for that kicker to make that field goal. Well, and people point. people it don't realize been... that's his first year in the NFL really starting. Yeah. Well, here's my point. He has a big leg. I mean, who knows what would have happened? You know, guys miss short ones. They hit long ones. All kinds of things happen. Here's what I'm getting back to. If even if they flagged Porter, it would have been offsetting uh, because okay. there was a he didn't. The funny thing is, if you toss it, if you saw when they talked about this perfect, Bondes perfect makes it clear that Porter wasn't taunting or anything. He was actually offering words of wisdom to Bondes perfect because he Porter sees a lot of himself. Well, Bontes we Perfect. well we well we know that's not completely all true. You know, Joey Porter loves to still talk and trash. Right, but here's what I'm saying. <laughs> if you if you go back and look, when you actually look, you see that Burfecht is trying to tell Adam Jones, because Adam Jones didn't know what Porter was saying. He's trying to tell him, look, he wasn't, you know, taunting me. He wasn't whatever. He was trying to, you know, talk me down or whatever. So for I think know, the downfall for the Bengals was when Giovanni Bernard was knocked out of that game, which I still think was a dirty hit by Ryan Shazier. Well, here's, here's what I'm saying. There's no single play that I would point to. I mean, I wouldn't point to Vontaze, I wouldn't point to Pac-Man. It was a collapse of a team that still doesn't know how to win big games. The Bengals have not won a big game in a, in a minute. Then uh, in 20 years. They have not won yeah. a playoff game in 20 years. Uh-huh. And and if they don't win next year, it's going to be 21. You know, it's the longest drought in the NFL, and the Bills are right behind them. Mm-hmm. <sighs> you know, you just sometimes you feel for these fan bases where they have to deal with mediocrity for so long. And the Bengals, it seems seem like every other year they made the playoffs. And then the next year they met until Andy Dalton sort of came into the picture, and everybody was sort of throwing throwing their knife at him, saying he was the problem. And look, when they weren't in the game, when he wasn't in the game, they really needed you know him on the field. Adrian McCarron is a fine quarterback, but he is not Andy Dalton for that team. No, he is definitely not a Dalton. He is not. He also does not have that big Jesus on his chest. Yeah, the A.T. McCarron love has always been interesting to me. There are people who really are convinced that he's going to, at some point, beat out any Dalton for the starting job and you know, lead to the promised land or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when, yeah exactly. uh, when Marvin Lewis is bringing in competition for one of his quarterbacks, that's when pigs will start to fly. Well, I mean, here's the issue. 
There's nothing wrong with being a game manager. You can be a Hall of Fame quarterback and be a game manager. I've said this many times. The thing, the problem is that when you don't know that's what you are. Wasn't Joe Namath a game manager? Was that? To a degree, Joe Namath, wasn't he a game manager? No, he was the opposite. Um, well, here's the I, w- I watched the late stages of his career, not his early stages. Here's what I will say. In Super Bowl three, though he did have some shaky moments, for the most part, he actually reigned in. He was a gunfighter. He was, he was the first Brett Favre in many ways. I mean, he, was, he would throw you into a game, he'd throw you out of a game. He threw a lot of interceptions, so no. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Sorry, sir, I'm derailing you from your point. So, if only he were a game manager, they might have won more Super Bowls. He was a gunslinger. So, he, he, was, he had tremendous confidence, too much confidence in his arm. Uh, here's the, that's the problem I'm getting back to with, with McCarron. If he, if he would accept what he really is, if he would look at Kellen Moore and Case Keenum and guys like that and say, I'm just a bigger, stronger version of that, as opposed to looking at himself and thinking, I am a stud hoss quarterback. Watch me slang it. Because um, <laughs> um, that's the problem. A lot of it was his cockiness. Matt Money Smith, uh, a really good guy, he's called a lot of student for games, and he used to be part of this CBF 247 pod. He basically called him out, and he looked at Daniel Jeremiah's top 50 list. He's like, where the hell am I? And he's like, he's like, you're part of the, I think it was three national championships, or no, two national championships. Like, he said, actually, it was three, you know, all defiant. Like, uh, well, you weren't part of that other one. You weren't well, the quarterback. He on the, no, he was on the squad. It's like when people say that, that, that Tim Tebow is a, really it's, like when people say, it's like when people say Tim Tebow is a, you know, two-time national champion or whatever. It's like, well, I mean, he wasn't he was on the team, quarterback. but right. He was it may, in reality, it was, but when he come to a quarterback, you really don't consider it. So that's yeah. when the cockiness really gets to you. A guy like AJ McCarron. Well, it's okay to be like that if you're Aaron. But Rodgers a little too cocky. Or you're, or you're, or you're, it's good to be cocky, but when you become arrogant, it's another story. Most great players are arrogant. Arrogant's not the issue. Tom Brady's arrogant. Aaron Rodgers is arrogant. Cam Newton's arrogant. And they all probably and they don't arrogant. get their way. Yeah. <laughs> Arrogance isn't the issue. Most great athletes, I mean, Tiger, Michael Jordan, name a, name a truly transcendent athlete who wasn't arrogant. It, they're not a very uh, Tony Romo. He's not a transcendent athlete. Get away from me. I'm talking about, I said, I'm talking about the greats. The truly greats are usually arrogant, but that's not the issue. Aikman? I don't think Aikman was great. No, this is a guy who's, no, it's funny you bring him up, though. He's a guy who's at the intersection of elite and game manager. Because it was such a run-oriented team, there'd be games where you'd have 18, you know, 18 uh, attempts. 19 attempts, 17 attempts, 20, 21 attempts, you know, 14 to 21 for 218 yards and two touchdowns. And that, you know, I mean, a lot of his stats are underwhelming, even for the era in which he played. But to his credit, when they did need it, when 
for whatever reason their running game was shut down or whatever it was, he did show he could rise to the occasion. But he had, a, to me, a fairly short prime of his career. He had about six really good years from his second year in the league to his eighth. And then he started not being able to stay healthy, um, you know, due to, frankly, a series of concussions and post-concussion syndrome. And, you know, by his, what, 11th year in the league, he was done. He only had, I think, one 3,500-yard season, two 3,000-yard seasons, something like that. I mean, his his actual numbers are, like I said, not spectacular for the most part. I think he only led the league in touchdown-to-interception ratio. I mean, so statistically... You're talking about Aikman, right? Yeah, we're talking about Aikman. Statistically speaking, he was not super impressive. He was it looks like he's come on the field today. He looks like it. He hasn't aged a bit. Well, I'm going to go as far as he hasn't aged a bit. He doesn't but, look uh, like it. He was, he was a guy who he had two major injuries. Well, he had more than two majors. Let me rephrase that. He had one major physical injury in that, you know, the broken uh, uh, tibia when he was at, uh, no, fibula. Uh, fibula when he was at uh, Oklahoma, and then uh, a series of concussions. Uh, he had one or two while he was in college, and then probably had a couple of undiagnosed ones his rookie year where he took a hellish beating uh, as a rookie with the Cowboys. And then towards the end of his career, he had a series he actually knows about, like six or so, or seven or so, that came pretty close to each other and finally chased him out of the game. But mm-hmm. The point I am making is that here's a guy who had the talent to be almost like an Elway type. Like he wasn't way beneath Elway in terms of physical ability, but he didn't ever carry the load the way Elway did. You know, Elway early in his career was carrying that offense. I mean, there were years when he was the leading rusher. I'm not kidding. Go back and look. I mean, like, not for the season, but there were certainly for the games where he'd be the leading rusher. In the in the old days, when they had Sammy Winder and Gene Lang, you know, toting the mail, um, and just throwing the ball to Vance Johnson, and Mark Jackson, and um, Ricky Natile. Yeah, and I should know these people. Why? <laughs> well, that's 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 what I'm pointing out to you is that he he didn't get surrounded by the same kind of talent that Trayvon had. So it wasn't until the the end part of his career, the last few years of his career, when they had uh, McCaffrey and Rod Smith and Shannon Sharp, and of course, the final piece being Terrell Davis. And that great offensive line with Lepsis and Slaris and uh, Hamilton and uh, it was the last offensive, you may know this already, but maybe not. It was the last offensive line to have not a single 300-pound player on it. They were the last offensive line to have everybody weigh less than 300 pounds. But they depended so much on movement and cutting and, oh, man, they, they came off the bus cutting people, which is why, I mean, this, I don't know if Slayer says, told, I mean, you've seen Slayer tell the, the story of the, the fight with Warren Sapp. Warren Sapp did not like people going at his knees. I mean, who does? And so one day he just told Slayer, so I'd be in game, like, you know, I'm not going for this today. I'm not feeling it. You know, don't don't be doing that. We have a problem. And Slayer's like, 
So we're going to change our entire blocking scheme because you don't want people around your feet. It's like, uh, okay, so big fella. So in your opinion, do you think if um, Troy came in and played a few more seasons, we'd change our perception of him? Or if they changed their offense so that he was having to throw more load. Yeah. I mean, he's the last guy who's going to make it into the Hall of Fame with fewer than 300 touchdown passes in his career. But he's nobody else ever. Fewer than 300, yeah. Do you not know his career? Did you not? Of course, no, you're too young, of course. Right. But, yeah, he had 220-something. I mean, yeah, forget. <laughs> you're, you're, you're very young. But he had, what, 220-something? It was, it was, it's not a super high number. That's what I was just saying. Was Jordan Peterson on that roster? Or not, no, no, I'm thinking the wrong team. Crap. Sorry, Niners. Crap. Yeah, <laughs> and plus, and you're thinking years. At, I mean, Aikman, well, I mean, I yeah, guess they may have. Aikman yeah, was, was retired by crap. the time he, yeah, was retired by the time he entered the league. Um, like I said, Aikman had a pretty short career. That, um, but it was productive, and they won a lot. You know, <laughs> so so it helped him. Uh, winning not always helps. You know, even if you're just above average. I mean, like I said, the great examples of that are guys like, say, Greasy. And Greasy was a good quarterback. Don't get me wrong, but there are a lot of better quarterbacks than Bob Greasy who are not in the Hall of Fame. Um, well, I mentioned Julian Peterson. Is he a Hall of Fame type player? No. He won't even be a finalist. Ever. Because I'm looking at his statistics, and they are a little underwhelming for a player that was, you know, so hyped up with 756 tackles, uh, 51 and a half sacks, eight interceptions, 25 forced fumbles. Yeah, the next time you get a chance, compare him to a guy like Doug Buffone, who, once again, wasn't even ever a finalist, but played rings around that kid. I mean... <laughs> he loved the four fumbles. It looks like I could name two hundred linebackers who have a better chance of making the Hall of Fame. Literally. Okay, let's start with ten. No, I'm just kidding. It's going to be a long I can day. Give them to you. I can give them to you. That'd uh, be a long Scott, day. Scott Stubbs, <laughs> Matt Blair, the uh, aforementioned Doug Buffone. Does that Thomas get in? Maxi Bond. But yeah, Zach I knew Thomas could name me a whole thing. Zach Thomas is an interesting test case. Um, We've never really seen a linebacker so small and so, you know, limited yeah. in air. Well, yeah, I, mean, I mean, I mean, a big Tony. I mean, I could name a bunch of them that got in who were. I mean, he's like, I'm talking about really the only one from this era. Oh, you're talking about from this era. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, maybe from this era. But the fact is that loads of linebackers just like him have made it into the Hall of Fame. The problem is that it's, uh, yeah, uh, his numbers are way better. What about Brian than, Young? Brian Young is an interesting case as well. I don't think he'll get in, but he for, deserves For more. a defensive tackle, man, almost 90 sacks, 89 and a half. Whew. 618 tackles. Yeah, he's a, he's a very good player. He's not as good as, say, Joe Klecko, who still isn't in. He's not as good as J- Jacob Green, who still isn't in. There's a, when you study the game, you realize 
to how many great players aren't in the Hall of Fame and you stop asking about people like Julian Peterson. Really? I didn't realize James Stuckey was a former first-round draft pick. Yeah. Like I said, look up guys like Maxie Ball and come back to me. Look up guys like Mad Dog Mike Curtis and come back to me. Chuck Howley, the only defensive player on a losing team to ever win Super Bowl MVP still um, is Chuck Howley. But, yeah, like I said, there's a load of players, particularly on defense, who haven't gotten in, who are way more deserving than some of the people that you've named. Uh, Bryant Young, at least, is in the conversation. But like I said, look up Jacob Green. You know, Jacob Green was a guy that played defensive tackle, defensive end, five technique, played a bunch of places all up and down the line. Somewhat similar to a guy like, say, Michael Bennett. Um, and I think the first two years of his career, sacks were not an official statistic, but he still ended up with What about a guy like Jimmy Webb? What, what was his career like? Uh, Former first round pick, yeah. defensive tackle, Mississippi State. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, not a very good one, I think. Not, not a, not a Hall of Famer. Not even a. Once again, not a guy who can be a, not even be a finalist or even probably even a semifinalist. That wasn't the question, Bill. Well, okay. I mean, he's an okay player. I mean, <laughs> nothing special. The answer would be nothing special. John Hand. Do you remember John Hand? Yeah. Kind of like that. Kind of like that. Dan Burns is sort of awful. I don't know if I'd say he's awful. Well, numbers-wise, it suggests that. Um, You know, he was a rotational, decent enough player. He wasn't a dominant player, no, uh, by stretch. Marty Lyons is a guy that it's like I said, a little more interesting. Or you know, I think Klecko should be in the Hall of Fame, but he isn't. Uh, Diamond Talbert's an interesting case as well. A guy that played all along the line, defensive end, defensive tackle, very productive, fairly long career. Um, I think his career ended before sacks were an official statistic, so you won't find any sack totals for him. But he was a pretty. Does our boy Jimmy guy. Smith ever get in? A corner. Our boy, Jimmy Smith. Oh, he's another wide receiver. Oh, he's another wide receiver. There have been several guys who played in the league named Jimmy Smith. Um, Probably not. He had an outside shot until he did some, you know, stuff that didn't help him. And remember, these are writers and they're people. And... I'm so upset we never actually got him on. We had to have all those implications or complications. Yeah, he's had he some said he, Well, I'm talking about when he called, supposedly called in the show, but cause that was when our thing was acting, your your uh, thing was acting up. Yeah, well, I mean, his, getting back to Jimmy Smith, he would have been a borderline guy under the best of circumstances, and then with the sort of, you know, off the, I'm going to say off the field, he was retired, I guess, but you know what I mean, the stuff, you know, it was poorly timed. You don't want, while people are sort of still wondering if you might be a Hall of Famer, you don't want to do anything that's going to make them 
feel uncomfortable possibly giving you their vote. So well, I think you're he, you're you're a little more knowledgeable than most people about the Hall of Fame. Um, I've always wondered this: if somebody you know committed like murders and on that, and they're already in the Hall of Fame post Hall of Fame, do they ever no get provision. removed? No, there's no provision to remove someone from the Hall of Fame. Um, no, has has somebody in, ever been accused of that no, after? No one's ever uh, been removed. OJ Simpson. No, no one's ever been removed from the Hall of Fame. No one, I mean, there have been a couple of guys who've done bad stuff, from selling drugs to uh, you know writing bad checks to whatever it is, after they were inducted. And mm-hmm. no one, there's never been a movement to remove anybody from the Hall. I don't think it ever has anybody that. Has anybody done something, a, such a serious crime or t- murdered somebody? Uh, remove um, O.J. Simpson from your mind. I know, but I'm saying that, I don't know, there have been guys, there have been guys, I think at least one guy killed his wife and himself, come to think of it, now I think about it. Um, but no, I mean, no one's ever been removed, no one ever will be removed. Uh, I've always wondered that for the longest. No, no. Well, there's nothing in the bylaws, you know. You you can be, you can be removed but from... Because, you because can be removed from perception, con- you, can, um, you can be removed... For some people, well, sorry. You can you can be removed from consideration for certain things, but once you're in, you're in. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah, I was about to say perception before you can get in when you're maybe a no doubt Hall of Famer and something serious happens that may knock you out for a while or completely. Um well, I mean, Marvin Harrison was an interesting case. Some people... Well, Marvin Harrison was a surefire Hall of Famer. Just It was a matter right. of when. It was also, before you say that, remember, he did shoot someone. Um, and there were people who weren't wild about that. Yeah. So... Imagine if what Steve McNair still played during, you know, before he retired and eventually, you know, the story. If he had like three more good years, I talk about him in possible consideration. Yeah, well, but Nair's, I mean, Nair's numbers aren't as good as Donovan's, and Donovan's not going to make it in. So well, he would have they were it. also in two different eras. Uh, they overlapped, what, eight, seven or eight years? I mean, they played a lot of years in common. Um, one of them was drafted in 93, and the other was drafted in 99. That's only six years different. Not a, I wouldn't say it's different eras. No, I mean a different NFL. When when was drafted by the end of the 1990s, it would switch more to a run heavy slash, or a pa- run heavy to a pass heavy, well, or in between. Here's what I'm saying. There's not enough. It wasn't like they were 20 years or even 10 years apart. These guys were six years apart. So. And I'm like, a, uh, there's no Ken Stabler treatment for somebody like Steve McNair. No, there was no Kim Steeler for somebody leaving there. Um, he's never getting in. And frankly, Stabler probably shouldn't have, but, you know. Uh, so he's so I mean, if somebody, if, I mean, if somebody like uh, the Raiders guy, I, already, I just said his name, forgot it already. <laughs> but um, if somebody like him gets in, you know, sort of, 
and with that um, pity feeling, you know, hey, he's gone, you know, why didn't I get him in for Ken Stabler? Um, yeah. Steve McNair, I think he had better numbers, if I'm not mistaken. Well, his numbers are better, but he's also, now that's an era thing. Like that, there your mm-hmm. era yeah. argument makes more sense. Well, so those guys are actually legitimately different areas. Um, but circumstances on they were they were the guy that once again I was thinking shouldn't have gotten in anyway. I mean because in his era I can think of four guys who had better numbers, including John Brody, including obviously Kenny Anderson, including. And you were saying um, Joe Namath should never have gotten. Well, you were debating yeah. that if he were to get in at all, he he weren't. He, once again, if we're up to me, he wouldn't be in. But I understand why he's in. I mean his importance. He's a transcendent yeah, well, somewhat a, talent of that era or not even never, talent, personality-wise. Well, first NFL. of all, he helped, he helped to ensure he, when he signed with the AFL instead of the Cardinals on the NFL, he helped to ensure the survival or the continuation of the AFL. That's part of mm-hmm. what makes him so important. And then two, by leading, though really the merge deal was already in place, but by leading the victory of in Super Bowl three. Over the NFL, he helped legitimize the AFL in the eyes of football fans. Those two things, okay. and it's primarily those two things that have people believing he's he's Hall of Fame worthy. But even for his era, his numbers are the same, basically, with Daryl LaMonica's, but nobody's trying to get Daryl LaMonica in the Hall of Fame. John Hadle. John Hadle's numbers are slightly better, but nobody's talking about putting John Hadle in the Hall of Fame. <sighs> the whole thing is always interesting and it's always a pleasure to speak to speak that with you. You're more knowledgeable than most people I know about the whole situation. Uh you have to do take time and do your research. So yeah. I take I take everything from you on that. Um some more recent news before we have some more things, like three more guys to talk about before we wrap things up. Mario Williams has been released. Is there a chance? I know it's sort of one down, one down year really for him that he has a Julius Peppers resurgence in end of career or is yes. that type well, of yeah. player? Especially since he wants to make at least one more big payday. He's going to have at least one more great season. You don't seem to understand how Mary Williams works. You don't seem to understand how Mary Williams works. He always has at least one big year, big enough to make – he's got at least one more 13-sack or whatever season in him, yes. He almost had 20-sacks with Jim Schwartz. Yes. I don't know if he's going to have another 20-sack season in his career, but 13 – That was yeah. two years ago. I know that. I was there. My point Were is, you in Buffalo? Well, not there. I was in <laughs> Buffalo, but I watched it. Okay? I saw him do it. Here's my point. I think he's got another 13, maybe even 14. You know, somewhere in 12 to 14. He has a, somewhere in that 12 to 14 range of sacks. Somebody like, maybe. Sorry, we took the Hall of Fame. Somebody like him, should, isn't he somewhat close with this production he's had over his long career? Well, we'll see. I mean, once again, getting back to the, like Jacob Green, Jacob Green's not in. He had 
um, 98 official sacks, and the people who went back through the box scores for the two years that the sack rule, and once again, it was the guy that played five technique much of his career, but he had 116 sacks. If you add in those two years before the sack was an official statistic, and he's not in the Hall of Fame. And as far as I know, Mario's nowhere close to 116 sacks. So, no, not yet. Uh, there's a lot of guys who, the guys who are in, like definitely in when their careers are over, are, you know, the big quarterbacks, obviously, that being, you know, Eli's going to get in whether it makes sense or not. Obviously, his big Which brother. Which makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, but I know, but he's in. Um, uh, Roethlisberger's probably in, uh, once again. Um, quarterbacks and, are always. Fairly deserving. Yeah, usually they do. And obviously Brady's going to be a slam dunk to go in. We already talked about Peyton. Uh, guys who, and, and if Rodgers continues another year or so, he really just needs maybe one or two more years. He doesn't even have um, the, enough big numbers to be there. Rodgers is going to just walk right in. Um, he just has to have a couple more good years. Uh, okay, Romo is a guy. Mario Romo William has yeah. 96 stacks. Yeah, uh, 387 tackles, zero interceptions, mm-hmm. zero force no. fumble. No, he's not a big yeah, he's not a big turnover guy. No, he's <laughs> you will discover if you look at his numbers. He doesn't generate a lot of what they call ball production. If you're looking for uh, a big turnover guy, he's not your guy. No, he is not. But 98 sacks or 96 sacks. For I think it's eleven years been in the NFL or ten years. About right. Yeah, it, it, like it's pretty. It's pretty decent. Mm-hmm. It is. But he's always been that player known for asking for a lot of money. But you know he's produced. I just think if another coach was in there. He'd be back with the Buffalo Bills next year. But um, I don't understand why they just didn't promote Jim Schwartz. Uh, Better fit. I I know why. Okay. Why? Maybe you didn't didn't see Jim Schwartz coaching, but... I've seen Jim Schwartz coaching. Uh, arrogant. (laughs) Believe me, my family's... Detroit Lions fans, I'm not personally, but every Thanksgiving we watch them play. (laughs) Unfortunately. (laughs) But Jim Schwartz was always the highlight. Him and Jim Harbaugh in their yelling matches. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Jim Schwartz is not a beloved figure around the league. Um, He's a really good guy. He's, he's he's very smart. He's a very good defensive mind, but he is an arrogant, high-handed, I won't <laughs> finish with the word that people usually use to describe him. Um, A-hole? I'm going to use a slightly different word, shorter and ending in K, but <laughs> whatever. The point is, not everybody's a fan of, of him. He's going to have a field day with the Eagles' defensive talent. Oh, that's a great fit for him, actually. 
He just needs some secondary pieces, but he made it work in Detroit without it. Right. And they're going to draft secondary this year at least once, possibly twice in this draft. Okay, bet to Mario Williams, uh, 386 combined, 308 total, 78 assists, 96 sacks, zero safeties, 19 pass deflections, zero interceptions, blah, 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 16 forced fumbles in its entirety of his career. Mm-hmm. That's all the stats I've got. Right. And I would just say, compare him to a guy like Jacob Green, and then tell me which one of those guys should go in first. You are a big Jacob Green supporter. Because Jacob Green <laughs> should be in the Hall of Fame. I mean... It, it just I, doesn't I, make sense to you, it seems. Because he's better than a lot of guys that have made it in. Okay, why aren't you on the competition committee? Or not the competition, but the Hall of Fame committee, then? <laughs> well, there's several reasons for that. First of all, I'm a <laughs> member of the Football Writers of America, so I'm not even <laughs> eligible to enter the pool. But here's what it comes down to. Guys get in for two reasons. One is they can even be so overwhelmingly great that you can't keep them out. That's a very small percentage of guys that are just so great that you can't keep them out. Other guys you about, wasn't your first-round pick in 1980 for the Seattle Seahawks? From Texas A&M Texas. University. From where? Texas University? Texas A&M. No, Texas A&M, uh, Agricultural and Mechanical University. Yes, sir. Yep. Yeah, he played 12 years, 116 yep. sacks, two yep. touchdowns, three interceptions. Uh, let me go through his numbers. I know you already probably know him, but yeah, well, he's a really good. They're player. really, and they're he, really close to Mario Williams. I mean, Mario Williams only, is supposed three slightly better season, right? <laughs> only slightly better. But the here's here's the like I said, getting down to the the point, the what matters. Okay, ninety seven point five on his own. Sorry, uh, three interception. I thought it said two. No, two touchdowns. My bad. Uh, okay. do, 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 do. Well, the, the 97.5 are official numbers because the first, as I mentioned, the first couple of years of his career sacks were not an official statistic. The, mm-hmm. 116, the 116 come from people with uh, football reference or whatever, right? Exactly. He went back through the box scores of the games that he played in for those first couple of seasons. And then, so those are unofficial numbers, those last, those other sacks he's been credited with. But either way, if you look at his career stacked up against a bunch of guys who have made the Hall of Fame. Kevin Green. Well, Kevin Green was a 3-4 outside just, linebacker. Who's just deal. getting Kevin, in. Yeah, yeah. Completely different deal. Um, he deserves well, I mean, in scheme-wise, Mario Williams was a linebacker, depending on the scheme. Yeah, which is, which is craziness. Well, that, which, which is a higher burden. He had, his best, mean, higher, he had his best career as that. Right, but here's what I'm pointing out. It's a, that's a harder he, has, he needs higher numbers than that. Jacob Green was playing as a five technique much of his career, putting up those sack numbers. Think about that. So it's harder to make it in as a three per outside linebacker because now he's up against guys like Swilling and Green. Swilling is not even in yet, had more sacks, hundred and thirty one or something. I mean there's a 
it's a tougher bunch of guys to get in with because they expect a higher number from you because you're not fighting at the line of scrimmage on every play like a guy like Kevin Green was. I'm not Kevin Green, I mean um, uh, Jacob Green. Jacob Green was in there in the pits every play. So when he got sacks, he got him the hard way. He wasn't just running around people. You know what I mean? He had to fight to get those sacks. But getting back to, um, I mean, there's a lot of guys who should be in. Um, and I've written about some of them. And there's a few guys, not a lot, but a few guys who are in who probably shouldn't be. So when we get around to years like, you know, the, Every year, obviously, they vote in. You know, a new group of guys. Where does he fit in? Where is the potential landing spot for Mario Williams? I'm not well, a few different places. I mean, we'll take out here's, Houston. Right. I mean, though, it would be cool to see him, you know, go back there and finish where he started in Houston, but I don't think that's where he's going to land. I think that all the teams... Now, if he's willing to play five technique, because the guy's 292 pounds or 90 whatever pounds, he could play five technique. Um, well, I found, but if I, I'm looking at NFL.com. They say the Dallas Cowboys, um, Arizona Cardinals, which I would love, but not sure. not likely. Unlikely, Oakland, but, I don't see it. Yeah. The Giants. Yeah. Sure. The Eagles and the Jaguars, which... Uh, not in their character. Well, we'll see. I, I wouldn't be shocked if the Steelers don't don't often sign big time free agents, but I think they might make a push for him. They might make a push for. I think he's still relatively young. I know he's thirty one. Thirty one. Yeah, he's thirty one. I mean, it's not a million years old, but he's just with that and, position, that shelf life is well, a lot longer than people realize. Well, it depends on sort of what style of pass rusher you yeah, what style of pass rusher you are. If you're one of those guys who's and William he's probably gonna have a longer career unless there's a major injury. And he's, or he's, if he decides he's, not to play. He's only had two seasons where he's been nicked up and they weren't, you know, serious career threatening injuries. He's never had the big injury. The one where people go, you know, he's every one of those. He's had, like I said, injuries, but nothing where you feel like his career might be greatly altered or injured or injured or anything like that. So, you know, that's good news. Um, there's, there's many teams, and this comes down to money, really, quite frankly. There's many teams, it's hard to think of a team that can't use a guy like him, really. Um, you know, okay. I mean, the Falcons <laughs> could use him, everybody. They could use anybody, like, really. <laughs> exactly. They could rush Lots of teams could use it. The Jets, uh, you know, right? I mean, who well, can't the Jets use... don't really need it. They have guys, but... I mean, they could, but they'd be in a lot of cap trouble. They already well, have, have, are having trouble getting Muhammad Wilkerson. I'm saying, I'm saying if, if Wilkerson walks, which we certainly... Well, they tagged him. So, here's my point. The franchise tag Wilkerson, he's staying for a year. Though. Yeah, right, right, right. I mean, I, I don't think they'll let him walk, but I think if they did. Here's my point. It's hard to think of teams that really couldn't use him. There's only a few teams that you could say, okay, they really couldn't use Mario Williams. Most teams really could use Mario Williams. 
Especially since he could play. He's not in the latter team's character to go after a player like that due to his motivation and what he's all about and well, all about what? the money. Sure, but guess what? It wasn't in Green Bay's character to go after Reggie White. It wasn't in their character to go after um, Julius Peppers either, but they did it. Yeah, and it worked out for once, but the Packers don't have cap room. Oh, no, I'm no, sure no. There... I'm, I, was, I wasn't mentioning the Packers of the landing spot because if, if they're bringing You were mentioning Peppers, examples from the Packers. Right, I was giving you so, examples like, of. You're talking uh, about no, no, no. I was, giving you, I was giving examples of teams. You keep talking about character. If a team thinks this is the guy who's going to get you to a championship, they'll stop. They'll do it, whether it's within their character or not. That's the point I'm making. That even teams that believe in drafting and developing and all that stuff will go after the guy that will get them to hoisting the Lombardi, even if it's out of character. That's the point I was making. If not, I'm the Cardinals, not, I'd cut. All that, all those players that are taking up so much money in the cap. If you can find somebody like, uh, try to work with Greg Hardy for a year. You know, you need help. Uh, get try to get Mario Williams, but it's not likely. I mean, it it'd be a luxury if they did, but it's highly unlikely. Yeah, I mean, it would be highly unlikely. <laughs> I mean, players of high caliber and certain demeanor, teams just won't touch the Raiders. Right now, they don't want to touch anybody with any background like that. Well, I mean, the good news about a guy like Mario, he doesn't have, you know, bad background. He he doesn't have a bad background, just about it all the wrong way. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, but well, guess what? Well, guess what? Really not all the hold wrong. On, hold on, hold on. Well, hold, hold on. What do you think motivates uh, Daryl Darrell Rivas? <laughs> He's in the same boat. Well, that's what I'm saying. But, but there's always <laughs> well, two a, different types of talent. But here's my point. There's always a long line, you know, of teams just waiting if they've got the cap space to try to sign him every time he's available. Oh, people are going to plug him in and say, Patriot, guess what? They can't afford you. And I don't think he's... I'm not saying he's not smart, but I don't think he has the collective to handle a Patriot's defensive playbook. Well, that's the question, is how the Patriots would even use him. But a guy like Belichick usually figures out how to use you know, players. But that's if he I, can figure out... If he can read, find a find out how to comprehend that playbook that they have. Sure. And that's that's a legitimate question. Guys like Shane Johnson and you yeah. know, other figures in the world can figure it out. Well Brandon Merriweather, I mean yeah, Adelius Thomas. Yeah, there have been guys who who flamed out in New England because of the complexity of their system. But here's what I'm saying. It was a somewhat similar defensive system they ran in Houston. Probably not quite the same level of complexity, but a fair amount of stuff that was expected of him. Now, let's put Houston on the table. If it did, that defense would be insane. Yep. <laughs> you have Whitney Merciless. You got J.J. Watt. You got Clowney. You got Cushing. You got Wilfork for another year. Um, and if you brought Mario Williams, 
man, you your front seven is loaded. Yep. I mean, there is very few weaknesses other than, you know, if a guy were to get hurt, you need to upgrade that talent level in the back behind them. But other than that, if you had somebody that can manage the team and, you know, not try to throw four interceptions to the Chiefs <laughs> in a playoff game, watch out. If only they had quarterback, they'd be a Super Bowl contender for years. And that's where a lot of people put RJ3. But I don't think he's a Bill O'Brien type quarterback. Oh, I don't think anyone seriously has mentioned Houston. Um, oh, <laughs> Stephen A. Smith. Uh, uh, no, no, no. That's not by serious. I'm talking about people who know football. The, the people who know football have identified very different possible landing spots. Houston has never made the list of anyone who knows what they're talking about. The, the, um, the place is that I, people would put them at. Yeah. Like I said, but the places I've a few times. Yeah, the places I've mentioned are the places that are the the greatest probability. Um, as I mentioned, I could see him being in consideration for the Rams. Possibly even the Eagles. Um, but once again, he'd probably be going there as a backup, so he's less likely to be enthused about them. Um, the Browns Is Mark Sanchez are... gone? Not officially. But is he more than likely gone? Because they've already said... And not in exact words, but they're bringing in Chase Daniel. Well, they, they can't really to. say that right now. Well, right, right. They want to, but well, and Kansas can, City I mean, has no obligation to bring him back. Right, they have but, Aaron Murray, okay. and then keep giving yeah. money to Tyler Bray. Yeah. Here's my point: there'll be a, something of a bidding war for him. Uh, <laughs> so. Crazy as it sounds, there will be a bit of a bit more. There are at least three or four teams with an interest in him. Well, there is a, if you look at it, there's not many teams that are in desperate need of a quarterback, but there's teams that are reaching that eventual spot. It's not just that. How many? Let me ask you a question, Isaiah. How many teams really feel good about their second-string quarterback? At least 10 or 12. Okay, name the 10 or 12 teams that feel really good about their backup quarterback. Oh, their backup. I thought you said, never mind. We've already been through that road. Correct. So that's what there'll be a bidding war, as I just mentioned, for Chase Daniels. I, I, I thought you were talking about starting quarterback for a second. <laughs> so all but a few teams in the league want to upgrade their backup quarterback position. And there might be a few teams that might be considering to have him compete for a starting job. The Eagles win them, too. Right. That would be one of the teams that would be actually giving him a chance to compete for a starting job. So he has at least one or two places that might be asking him to come and compete for a starting job. And then essentially every other team, with a couple of exceptions in the league, might want to bring him in to bolster their, their number two. <sighs> Because I mean, you've got Garoppolo, and you know, um, 
Well, Garoppolo, we've like, never seen him play hardly. Right, right. But but, we're, but my point is that that team seems to be pretty settled in terms of their backup and don't don't seem to be Well, they might not be because well, reports, yeah, we'll reports are that they're possibly looking for a first-round draft pick. Yeah, right. Well, they would move. I mean, yeah, they would move him if somebody offered them a first, which would be crazy. But my point is that they're settled. That's the position. And they they always pick up the phone if somebody wants to call about him. I mean, but they're not shopping him actively, but they're letting people know they'll listen to offers. But getting back to the point, <laughs> they're they're pretty much set in terms of backup quarterback. Uh, but there's not too many. There's a few other teams where we can say, okay, they're set. They're solid. They don't need to look at it. But most of the teams in the league, the vast majority of the teams in the league, need to upgrade their backup quarterback. So, Bill, what what have you been working on lately? Um, getting ready to drop a mock draft probably towards the end of this week. Um, putting out my watch list for next year, so 2016-17, all emerging and all underappreciated. So I'm trying to look for a bunch of... That list never ends, does it? <laughs> Well, because you've already got to do a next one, right? You've got to do this year's, and then you got to start looking at So there's an overlap because this year's, you know, is finishing up this year's and then looking towards next year's. So the watch list usually comes out, you know, by June or something, and then, you know, I the have... The list comes in September or something like that? Something like that. And then and then I... Well, it's like a preseason. Then I do a postseason, you know, usually around February because it just takes so much time to watch all the first is to get hand, your hands on all this tape which requires making relationships with a bunch of assistant coaches and a bunch of different schools <laughs> and all that it just takes a while to do it's because you can't a lot of these schools there's no broadcast tape i can't just mm-hmm. oh there's colorado mines you know and just watch them versus eastern new mexico state not like you can like, pull it all up on youtube i mean that would be nice but well it's not mean, likely sure i mean occasionally i mean if you want full games most of the schools that I spend a lot of time watching, you can't find full games on YouTube. So most of the time, I got to get at the old. Oh, I've been finding a lot of full games on YouTube. Of Colorado School of Mines. Well, it's more of the big, bigger in teams like Ole Miss versus. Yeah, yeah. I don't. LSU. I don't. I don't, need, I don't need. I don't need those. I've watched those guys already. <laughs> I don't need them. <laughs> you understand the guys that you're talking about are guys I've already finished watching. The guys that I watch that most people don't watch, uh, I probably watch between 150% to 200% more Where do you get this time in this? Where do you get this time in your schedule, Bill? I don't don't sleep very much, Isaiah. That's pretty much the back of that. Do I go up late and up early? Bill? 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 Let's do this for once. You you take a break and you get some sleep. Well, eventually <laughs> I will. I will eventually because I'll be done with this at some point. But getting back to uh, one more time. So my combine overreaction article will probably be done tomorrow or the day after. And my first mock will probably be done hopefully by maybe next week, maybe earlier. Um, I guess it depends how many rounds I do. 
if I if I I could be done with a one rounder tonight, but I don't like one round mock drafts. They, they're I hate those. Those are so boring. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, I like doing full. Uh, frankly, I, I my goal is to do at least one seven rounder each year, but it just takes a long time because you have to really think through a lot of different things and the free agency changes things. But I'm yeah, and personally for me, five rounds I prefer doing better than you know the two or three round mark. Yeah, I don't think those pretty much. Yeah. I, like I said, I'm working on I'm gonna to try to do a seven rounder and I don't know if I'll finish it uh before free agency finishes. So maybe I'll start it, you know, and get halfway through it and then see if I have to make changes due to free agency. But whatever. So I'm working on my first mock um of this draft year and I'm working on my combine overreaction article and I'm starting to work on putting together my watch list for next year for the all underappreciated and all uh, all teams. And where can people find all this stuff? Uh, some of it will be on FanSpeak. Some of it will be on Nuts and Bolts Sports. And I may have a third option. I'm in discussions with an old friend who, you know, may want some of my stuff as well. So we'll see what happens with that. I don't want to say anything yet because we're in the very, very, very early stages of discussion. Um, but I'll definitely have some stuff coming out. Plus, I have some really good guests coming up for this Saturday. Um, so we should have Harlan Miller from southeastern Louisiana. We should have Josh Woodrum from Liberty. I think I'm, well, I don't know how many... I haven't been able to be there for any hardly any shows this past year due to my work. I'm usually already at work around eleven in the morning. Right. So Right. Well I, you know you I think I might well, be able to fit it in this week, depending on well, what we'll time see. I have to go in. Well that's fine. Either way it's fine. Um but yeah, we should have some really good guests on for that. Um one of my favorite safeties. People whine about the safety class. You're watching the wrong safeties. Um I'm gonna have a Really terrific safety on from the state. I mean, this is gonna be a good show, really good show. Um, and then Friday, yeah, I won't be able to, yeah, won't be able to come in. I worked eleven my time till seven p.m. And then Friday, um, we should have some people talking about combine training, and probably should have a couple of pretty good guests as well as that. So we have somebody coming from, um, up like oh oh one of the combine prep. Uh, whatever you call it, schools or gyms or whatever. And Dan Hatman wants to retry try it again this week. I know he messaged, emailed you about some things that came up. Okay. Well, I mean, at, I for me, I just have to sort of move on to other people. If you yeah, can be yes, available, yes. <laughs> tell him to go ahead and just send me an email or whatever. Let me know. If indeed you might have a few minutes, I'll be happy to have him on. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, so we're going to have a few people who deal with actually preparing athletes for combines um, on, and we probably will have Ethan Young back and perhaps Bill Jones and Pete Smith as well. So, no, please. Have you talked to any of the your previous where you start where we talked about a few weeks ago where you when you first started your CDS prospect show your 
former co-hosts? Have you reached out to any of them? I mean, I just use the email them and let them know that we're still cranking along. Um, most of these guys have sort of moved on and doing other things with their lives, you know, normal people things, and uh, not spending so much <laughs> of their time and energy on, on football. But I definitely let some of the guys like Adam Davis and others, um, Jeff West and uh, Steinbach, his email address has changed because he's been bouncing back, so I haven't been able to get a hold of him. Um, Eric Sandlin is a guy I still talk to a little bit occasionally. Um, Nolan was sort of back in the mix and then fell back out again, so I'll see if I can sort of bring him back in, especially now that I'm trying to knock out some mock drafts and things like that. So. Well, now you're getting big. You're you're beca- you're you're becoming big time now, Bill. I'm getting out there. I don't know there. about that. I don't know about <laughs> that. I, mean, I, I was frankly, I was bigger time in the past. Um, I would I was, it I was, would seem so. <laughs> I was bigger a few. No, I mean like ten, ten, eight years ago, I was actually bigger. I was making a few spots in some little ESPN affiliates, and um, you know, getting asked to do some other things by some of the other you know, quote unquote, big guys in the industry. Cause have was, you ever been? Was, have you ever been called? You're trying to pull an Albright? Because that's what I was told about my analysis of Jalen Ramsey. <laughs> No one's ever pulling a Benjamin Albright. No, no one's ever accused me of pulling a Benjamin Albright now. <laughs> I still can't believe he's like, this is an Albright wannabe. I'm like, no, I know Albright, and no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I know Ben, and I like Ben. I've known Ben for years, and of course, I used to host a show with him. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's a he's he's a guy that. Some of what you get from him is character, like he's in character sometimes, not always, you know, it's his outward, you know, sort of heel turn, WWE. Yeah, no, it's not just that. It's like character is created. It's like a WWE version of Ben. It's not the real guy. The real guy is, you know, much easier to take than sometimes the guy that you get in the public sphere. But, um, you know, like I said, people who know him personally, People who know him personally know what I'm talking about. That, yeah, I mean, you, it's like if you know a professional wrestler, you think Hulk Hogan is walking around the house <laughs> saying, here's the Toys Rich Pythons, brother. I mean, no, this is an exaggerated version of this person, not the real version. Now you made me feel old. <laughs> I'm already I'm back in the King Kong Bundy and all them years. Early Roddy Roddy Piper. Superstar Billy Graham, Wahoo McDaniel. <laughs> Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Superfly Snooker. Yeah. Yeah. Now you're making me feel old. There you go. <laughs> Greg Valentine. Yep. Mr. Wrestling 1 and 2. Harley Race. Devon Eriks. Carrie. Kevin. Judo Jean LaBelle. Dave Patterson. Uh, There's something Patterson. The Iron, I can't remember. The Iron, the Iron Sheik. <laughs> Uh, Mick Foley, Cactus Jack, and, you know, Brother Love and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, see, I was starting to get out of it by the time those... I mean, I was a little too old by that time. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I kind of outgrew it, you know. But I was pretty I still, heavy into I'll it. I'll like, still watch it occasionally. It's just not as yeah, good as it used to be. It's not. The characters are nowhere as good. I mean, these guys nowadays... Well, Kamala... 
or the person who was Kamala lost his leg from wrestling. Di- all diabetes? The- oh, okay. I was yeah. wrestling. I thought it was diabetes. <laughs> no, it was it was diabetes, but it was after his wrestling career, he blamed a few surgeries on him. It was more than likely diabetes. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't exactly <laughs> a finely tuned athlete. But, um... Just when you play an animal. Yeah. But, yeah, the, um... I mean, I, re- I remember, um, you know, The Rock's dad, right? I remember him from back in the day. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, Cowboy Bob Orton. Bob, right, Bob Orton. I remember all those guys. I remember, uh, I mean, it was just a different era. Um, the Million Dollar Man, Virgil. Ted DiBiase, The Brain. Um, yeah, man, I remember all those guys. To me, me, the golden era was the late 70s. I mean, that's when there was TV. Bob Baxman. There was TV and just enough money. Like, guys still had to really hustle. They had to do like 300 shows a year to really make them feel good living. Um, Remember when they tried to do that whole Papa Shango person who ended up becoming the Godfather? Oh, yes. Yeah, once again, this is towards the time I was starting to lose interest. But yeah, I, I vaguely remember that. For me, yeah, by about by about 1982-83, I was starting to sort of drift away. I was like, okay, you know, getting too old for this push. But from about 75, 76 till about 82-83, I was pretty pretty followed it pretty closely. Now you heard of Bill Goldberg, right? Well, I, I saw Bill Goldberg. I scouted Bill Goldberg when he was in Georgia. Yeah, he may be coming back. Into the business. Well, oh dear he's lord! Gotta be, he's got to be. At least he's in his early forties. Oh, early forties. Okay, I thought he was older than that. Okay, well, okay, fine. He's like forty-two, I believe. Okay, so he's older than that. Oh, fine. Well then, good on you, Goldberg. Well, Sting finally retired. Who's yeah. almost sixty? No, Sting can't be that old. Can he's fifty-eight. Wow, okay, I didn't realize he's that old. God, he's as old as... He looks old as Ric Flair, is it? I didn't realize he's that old. Oh. Yeah. Like, he must have just come out after some of the other guys. He does Steamboat. Well, he was in TNA recently. There's this whole TNA thing. Right, I know, I know I've heard about that, but total <laughs> whatever it is, action, total something, I care what the end stands for. But, um, God, because, like I said, I mean, he's almost as old as Steamboat, and Steamboat came out years before him. Like, Steamboat was... Well, he started really young. Scott Steiner yeah, is Steamboat. 54. Steamboat. Yeah, yeah. Well, Steiner did started older <laughs> because he was a champion. I mean, a wrestling champion. He wrestled, you know, until he was 20 in, like, real wrestling, um, collegiately. <laughs> Until he was like 23, so he didn't turn, you know, pro until he was until his mid 20s. Um, but the, I guess Steamboat must have turned pro really young or something, because he was he won Middle Atlantic Championship belt in '76. Oh dear, you remember you remember the year? <laughs> of course, <laughs> I remember most things, <laughs> dude. I remember the first football game that I charted. Um, who played, 
what kind of numbers they put. I mean, how do you not? Okay, how is well? How is how is your filing system within your brain or something? You can retain all that kind of stuff. You me, I have short term memory. Oh, is that what it is? Okay. Oh, okay. (laughs) So you're like a fruit fly or a gerbil. Okay. Well, I had a well, I was a cashier for the longest, and I couldn't remember orders. So I had to move on. And and I'm only 23, so... Yikes. (laughs) That's not good. My memory is not not what it once was, and how I feel old. Yeah. I remember the first time I saw Flair and uh, and Steamboat go at it, man. Yeah, well, this is way before the Four Horsemen. This is 1977, dude. Um, yeah, like I said, this this is way before the Four Horsemen. This was back when Greg Valentine was still his tag team partner. Greg the Hammer Valentine was his tag team partner in 77. Till about 79. You probably remember the names of Marty Gennetti and all them. Sergeant Slaughter. <laughs> yeah. The boss yeah. man. The big boss man. He was actually not very good. Like, you go back and look, he's like, oh, well, man, he's, he's dead. Not good. No, I mean, but I don't mean that. I mean, look at his, like, certain yeah. people, your they memory did not made them better. That well. Yeah, certain people, their your memory made them better than they were. You go back and look at their actual matches, it's like, oh, oh, he's a terrible wrestler. Why not? Why not? King Kong Bundy. King Kong Bundy is number one. Yeah, a lot of the super big guys actually weren't very good. Um, Giant Gonzalez, remember him? Yeah. You know who actually Amongst the super big guys, you know who actually was good? There were two big guys who actually were good. Like they could move and they actually. Kevin Nash. Made Nash and Big John Stud. Well, Big Show, too. Wait. Is that Nash is Big Show, is it? Isn't that the same guy? No, 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 no. Two different guys. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Well, they also call Grim Big Sexy. Oh, okay. He was the one that played at Tennessee, right? Played basketball at Tennessee? I could not tell you. Oh, okay. (laughs) And uh, what's his name? Oh, crap. Now I'm forgetting. Part of the NWO. Not Nash, not Hogan. Okay. But the other guy. He just retired. Um, I can't remember his name. It's going to bug me. Yeah, especially when you have a, you have a little brother that watches it. It's hard enough to pay attention. Especially when you visit him a lot. That's what's always on wrestling. Huh. Yeah, uh, I don't. I haven't really watched it seriously, and you know, like oh, said, Scott Hall. Months, so much years. Oh, Scott Hall. Jeez. He just retired. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember. He's, he's about sixty. He's 69. And then Michael. Vitas. What's his name? Just got in the Hall of Fame recently, right? Michael, um, the guy who's like a knockoff Ric Flair. Um, McGill Cuddy? Was in the, no, in the Fabulous Freebirds. Um, 
I could not tell you. <laughs> the bushwhackers finally got in. Oh, the bushwhackers. <laughs> you uh, talk about one goofy punch. Oh, my God. Michael, I mean, he literally was like a knockoff of Ric Flair, down to the feathered blonde hair and the robes and everything. Um, okay, let me get my wrestling Hall of Fame buck out. Just kidding. Yeah, I'm just uh, Michael. Hey, I can see him in my mind. Um, he 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 was in the AWA, and he first won his first title in like '81, and then went from there to Mid South Championship Wrestling by about '80, maybe '80, and then by '82 he was in Mid South. The fabulous Freebirds just got in. Yes, I just said that. Did you not just hear me say that? I'm trying to remember no, the name, but Michael, I, I just said, oh, God, you, you really are bad at this. <laughs> I, that's, that's I told you I'm short term memory. Apparently. Uh, I said, I was trying to remember his partner's name, Michael, the fantasy words were Michael somebody, and the, the bigger guy, what was the partner's name? Michael something in his Hold partner. on, hold on, hold on. But he was like a knockoff of Ric Flair, the, the talker. Michael something was a guy who did all the talking. I'm looking at it. I'm going to my Wikipedia. Not a credible source, but sometimes reliable. Sure. I got Fabulous Freebirds. There was the AWA and there for men the Mid South. Um, Michael. The well, I knew about that, Google. Sorry, as I'm not speaking to Google. Yes, well, the that series. Oh, Mike, Michael Haynes. Michael Haynes, thank you. That was the talker. He was the knockoff Ric Flair. Type and then you had a partner who was like the bigger, the bigger guy that didn't talk much. Well, I knew it would bug you if you couldn't figure it out. Yes, it would have too. Um, but he really was like a knockoff of Ric Flair. He was like, like a slightly bigger, slightly less, you know, polished. They finally moved Ric on Flair. from the Rey Mysterio to the world. Yeah, yeah. Does it get the name of his? Bigger, not very talkative partner, Michael Haynes, and the bigger, less glamorous, less smart guy who was his partner. Well, Bill, it's been a pleasure yeah. as always. Where can people Happy find days. you on Twitter? Um, you can either find me at 11Bravo, E-L-E-V-E-N-D-R-A-V-O, uh, 138, or B Carroll, capital B, capital C-A-R-R-O-Double. L138, both on Twitter. All right. This is Isaiah, and that is Bill. Uh, that is the end of the Red and Black podcast. Of course, me and Rory named it, obviously, the Raiders and the Cardinals. Sort of matched it up. All right. Until <laughs> next time. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. 
Chumba. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.